0: Wishing and hoping and thinking and praying, planning and dreaming each night of his child that won't.
1: We now decided we can't count. We just make up numbers now. Episode 795 of The Feminine Critique. I'm Emily. With me, as always, is... Uh, I'm Christine. I'm here, too. Yes. Be be more excited about yourself, Christine. I'm here, too. I Oh, yeah. That's what we're looking for. (laughs) And on this very special day, we have a special guest star joining us, the one and only Elwood Jones from the Mad, Bad, Downright Strange podcast and blog. Say Hello.
2: Hello, thank you for having me on.
1: It is our pleasure, our utmost pleasure. Uh, we have both been on your show before.
2: Yep, yeah, you have. Uh, it um, is a wonderful
1: show. It is a nice show. So <laughs> well, thank you. Now, why don't you tell us a little bit, uh, I mean, we know about you, but tell, uh, tell the people at home a little bit about yourself, Elwood.
2: Uh, yeah, well, as you always said, um, uh, my name is Edward Jones. Um, my main site is From the Depths of DVD Hell, which is essentially my love letter to cult, foreign, and obscure cinema. Uh, from that, we obviously branched out and with some uh, cross-blogging, and mm-hmm. you got involved, obviously, Emily, when we put uh, the list together. I mean, I, the, got uh, you to, I
1: got you to talk to write about Nutcracker in 3D, which is always an accomplishment in my life. Yeah! <laughs> <Ugh. laughs>
0: yeah
2: that in 3D we're saving when we do the alternate uh, Christmas special uh, this year uh, that's obviously going to be one of the films we're covering and we're hoping to have you you ladies on to talk about that and uh, one of our other Christmas movies on there so
1: I'll be there in a heartbeat that just sounds like a punishment it's an amazing amazing way to (laughs) reward yourself
2: Um, but yeah as I said we uh, we we created the Mad, Bad, and Damn right Strange list, which is a 1,001 film introduction to cult and obscure cinema. And mainly it came out of the fact that the guys who did the 1,001 movies to see before you die, they did the cult movie version. I think they managed about 150, which really only sort of scrapes the Red surface crumbs, genre. Come on. Um, so we were like, you know, we're just... Do something better than that we can, we can come up with a thousand and one So we're going to put it together And it's an introduction It's not an essential list Because as we said before If you start throwing words like essential around People get very defensive mm-hmm. about what's essential and what's not So we provide this as the entry point uh, Into this world of weird and wonderful cinema And people can obviously take the bits they like And then uh, go from there And hopefully the discover some stuff. People
1: get so angry when you say the word list no matter yeah. what, even if you're like, here's a list of things I like, people are like, oh, what about this? <laughs> Whereas if you're like, here's a collection of things I like, they're okay with that. Yeah. 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 Synonyms, man. Strange, uh, strange list. thing.
3: List is definitive for some yeah. people. Even if you don't say it is, you're like, oh, this is a list. This has to have everything I like on it or it sucks. Yeah,
1: chill out, people, okay? <laughs> just just calm down. God. Yeah, Everyone. Yeah, so uh, now where can people find you? We'll refresh this at the end, but Elwood in the meantime. If people want to uh, read your list and read all the contributions to your list and all that stuff, where do they go?
2: Uh, If you want to see the list, uh, you can find it now on Letterboxd. Uh, It took about five days to get it on there. Oh my gosh, it must have been hell. But um, it's on there, and it's it's now in a more manageable form than it was originally. Originally it was on Blogger, and the original plan was to obviously do every film and link back to people's blogs and we're going mm-hmm. to cross blog it. And obviously that kind of fell apart and the list sat there like all oh, good ideas for mm-hmm. yeah. a couple of years and we revived it into it's now uh, podcast form. Um, but yeah, you can find the list on Letterboxd. Uh, I put a link on my blog, which you can obviously find it from the desk, DVD, hell. will Okay. We'll definitely we'll link
1: it on our Facebook page too. Yeah. Once, once we put this up so that everybody knows. All right, now, uh, today, you're joining us here for two films. What are we covering, folks?
3: Oh, um, we're covering uh, Stepford Wives and yeah. Dark City.
1: The 1975 Stepford Wives. Oh, wait, oh, yeah. that one? Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, although I think I know for a fact that Christine and I might have more to say about the 2004 remake-ish. I might have a lot to it's, say about just, There's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, and 19, what year was Dark City? Um, Dark City was 1998. Okay, 1998's Dark City.
2: So, one year shy of the golden year that was 1999.
1: Ah, but one year, yes, and one year before The Matrix?
2: Yeah, because mm, yeah. The Matrix again was ninety nine, so.
1: Yeah, yeah, big year. Uh, so those two totally related films that have lots of things in common. Um, but before we tackle that, that perfect pairing, uh, would we like to do something around here where we talk a little bit about what we've been watching. Uh-huh. Uh, now, for me and Christine It's usually the list of movies we've watched Since we last recorded uh, Elwood, I don't know how you want to tackle this But I know you've listened, so you know what we do So you want to tell us about uh, some of your recent watches?
2: Okay um, I'm actually going to start with something I watched Before I started podcasting this evening um, It's a three-part series over here It's called The Enfield Haunting It's on uh, Sky Living over here So probably it's going to filter over to the US At mm-hmm. one BBC where America another. Channel
1: and whatnot. Um
2: But it's based on the case of the Enfield haunting, as the title suggests. I went into this thinking that it was going to be just like a standard, you know, t- made for TV horror. It is unquestionably on probably one of the scariest things I've seen recently. Ooh. I mean, I was watching it and I'm like freaking out, but my wife's sitting across from me and I'm like, you know, trying to be the match male going, Oh, I'm totally unfortunate <laughs> with this. And then I was like, I said to her, and I said to her, and I was like, wasn't just me? It was that actually more freak than I thought. It was like Originally, I was going to catch, like, an hour sleep soon before we podcast this evening. Mm-hmm. I was like, I ain't going to be sleeping at all. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm just going to sit Haunt? here and watch
2: cartoons and get over this.
1: What is it called again? The Enfield Haunting?
2: It's called The Enfield Haunting. Um, okay. It's got, uh, believe it's uh, Timothy Swift. It's got the guy who was the sort of main guy in the first season of Spooks in it. It's, um, as I say, it's a very British sort of production. But... I was going
1: to say, all of this sounds like uh, Revolutionary War stuff.
2: <laughs> but it's it's very effective It's again It's very much like A ghost watch um, Which was produced By the BBC In the early 90s You know Back when they were Actually still doing Things that were worth Watching So okay. if, you, if it does Obviously filter across Or if it comes across As a DVD It's certainly worth Checking out It's okay. nice to know People are making Good for TV horror But It's been a real Sort of mixed Bag um, Obviously what I've Been watching recently Obviously discounting the films that we've watched I think if I just sort of pick out the best sort of parts Mm because there's been some horrible stuff
1: (laughs) well I Um, like the horrible stuff but that's
2: (laughs) I mean obviously I I finally got around to watching uh, the new version of Dread
1: oh okay took you even longer Um, than it took me
2: yeah I I didn't I didn't uh, I didn't like it that much
1: really was it overhyped for you or just
2: the problem I have with it I love obviously Carl Urban who's well these actors I can never actually place being in anything (laughs) <laughs> I know. I've call up him. I can't name a film other than Dread that he's been in.
1: What's the Star one Trek? Thing, well, Star Trek, and there's something else he's in that like he's <laughs> really ridiculous in. Like I thought for the longest time that he was a really bad actor because he just always looks like he's acting. Um, but, <laughs> but 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 he's he's good in Dread. I thought, and I, but I don't know. Like there's something I saw him in that I thought he was terrible in. What was it? No. I, I got to figure. Probably it out. a lot of stuff. But, I, right? Like I'm not crazy. Like he's not that no, good he, an actor. He's just kind of likable.
3: No, he picks weird stuff. Yeah, maybe that's. It. I think he's plenty good. I just think that he he likes to munch on some scenery.
1: Like in Star Trek, he's distracting to me. Like he t- does not look right there in that world. And he always like his eyes are all like really big. Like he's just really excited to be in a Star Trek movie. <laughs> well, I think he is. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't be? But so so, dread did not impress you.
2: No, it's the problem I have for it, and it's not just the fact that it's it's very similar to The Raid. It's just the general pacing of the film. Okay. Uh, we've got these wonderful set pieces and then there's just a lot of plodding around between the set pieces. And it's a real shame because a lot of the film works really well. Like Lena Henley is Mama.
1: She's so it's, good.
2: It's, as I said, she's unbelievably good. And we have these horrible slow motion uh, sequences which, again, I think I'm alone in hating because when I post yeah, I like on uh, Facebook people would like turn into me for that. So
1: yeah, And people like... There's a faction of people out there that love this movie more than I love nachos. Like, there are people that get (laughs) really angry if you say anything bad about this movie. I liked it, but I didn't... But there are people that, like, watch it, like, five times a day. I don't like
0: it. Yeah.
2: I... Obviously, 2000 AD was, like our comic here in the UK I mean we didn't really especially for myself being down in Cornwall where I had to like take a train for an hour to get to like a decent comic book store so we didn't have Marvel and DC so much but we had 2000AD which obviously Judge Dredd's the frontman for mm-hmm. so right. it's very true to the source material and I give it that and it's a, a good script it just plods along too much mm-hmm. and I wish that they'd do a sequel just so they could like correct a lot of the mistakes they made for myself
1: in this okay book, so. fair enough
2: um, there was a couple of great uh, agents of horrors on there. I watched. I uh, watched Killers, uh, which is currently available on Netflix in the UK, but I don't believe it's available on Netflix in the US.
1: Doesn't sound familiar uh, to me.
2: It's in 2000, at least 2014. Basically, it's uh, it's the first Indonesian-Japanese cinema crossover. Mm. We have two killers. We have the Japanese killer who's basically killing for sheer pleasure, and he's like filming it and putting it up on YouTube and then we have the Indonesian killer who's like a vigilante and the two start corresponding back and forth and we have this sadistic killer who's like giving him hints and like turning him into his protege in a way but it's the relationship which builds up between these two and it again it's got some wonderful set pieces in it and it did have some issues with uh, pacing especially because it clocks in at over two hours which yeah. seems slightly excessive for this sort of movie you could have told the same story within Within really an hour and a half, it was. In many ways, it's like um, Assassins are set done better.
1: Okay, interesting. I know that
2: uh, you girls didn't like uh, you didn't like Assassins. So
1: I, it just it just sluggish, Slug, That was that was a combination between sluggish and a slog. No, uh, it was sluggish. Yeah, it, the idea was good, and there were yeah. good things about it, but it just went on forever.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, and the other Asian uh, horror I watched was Codefish. Um,
1: oh, it's Sion Sono.
2: Yeah, if you're familiar with his work, you know he's like his films are just batshit insane. Yeah,
1: Suicide Club is his most famous one, probably.
2: Yeah, and he's recently did um, his, his his like Japanese hip hop uh, musical uh, oh. Tokyo Tribe.
1: Yeah, which I've heard great things about. Will from Gentleman's Guide, I think, had it as like his number one movie of the year.
2: Um, and he also did Why Didn't You Play in Hell, which I would actually put above Tokyo Tribe. Okay. Um, Tokyo Tribe. Again, because you're watching people rap in Japanese, so it's <laughs> it's very hit-miss, but again, there's bits in it which work really well. Uh, but Cold Fish is just really a great great little movie. Yeah, uh, got this mild-mannered uh, fish salesman, and he gets brought into this sort of more up-market um, couple who who are basically saying fish him, and they turn out to be serial killers. And it's really this sort of study of one man's sort of descent into the dark side. He starts off very mild mannered, very quiet, and you sort of see him slowly turn to the dark side. And mm-hmm. it's it's a very gripping watch. Perhaps yeah, and then, a little... and the daughter
1: is an interesting character too. There, he has a teenage daughter who it's it's like a really interesting family dynamic and exploration of that.
2: Yeah. I thought you were going to say it's a really interesting family film. <laughs> I'm thinking this is a family. <laughs> <film.">
1: <laughs> I've I've been known to Emily has different criteria. Well, but but in, <laughs> you know, in fairness, today to give to give myself a little bit of responsibility here, um, I saw a trailer today, and before the trailer started, it said PG. It was the trailer for Tomorrowland. Yeah. Have you guys seen that trailer? Yeah. It's like remember <laughs> the opening scene of Cube when the dude gets cubed. Okay. Yes. like that happens in the trailer and then that it happens. Happens. <laughs> it's PG. Like what the fuck? Like why are really well, the children? It's really not bloody then. I don't know, it bothered me, but yes, Coldfish Fish is not a family film unless your family's kind of cool and then it's a perfect family film, I think.
2: Yeah. I mean, I love the fact that you have this guy who's running the upmarket uh, sort of fish store and he's essentially created Hooters, but as a fish store.
1: <laughs> You're totally right.
2: He has all. He just like hires hot young Japanese girls yep. and makes them wear like vests and like little hot pants and stuff to sell fish. Yes. And he like pumps in like this cheesy Y music. It's like the it's the strangest thing. But obviously, if you're familiar with the director's work, you sort of come to expect this, and you yeah. give him this leeway.
1: Yeah, he makes bonkers stuff. I dig it.
2: Um. Also uh, been. Because I've just recently set up another blog uh, called The Armchair Sociologist, so I've been watching a lot of films about social groups. Um, I watched a documentary called American Teen,
1: which I've is heard basically of this. It was a few tries years to. Years ago, right?
2: Yeah, it's um, from 2008. It basically tries to take the idea of the Breakfast Club and follows a group of students.
1: Right, it's a documentary. Um,
2: different social groups. Yeah, it's a documentary. It's again. It's a documentary which tries to go for scope and ends up, like, failing quite horribly because only a couple of the subjects are actually interesting.
1: As a problem um, with teenagers, as we saw with Boyhood.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, you've obviously got, like, the rebel, the jock, the princess, the heartthrob, and the geek, and it sort of switches back and forth. I mean, the problem is that you've got the princess here, um, who's Megan, and she's, like, the popular student. She's the queen bee, and, like, she goes she doesn't get her prom theme chosen so she goes to her rival's house and spray paints the word fag on the house but like completely gets away with it Mm. and it basically just says that you know the rich kids everything's going to turn out roses for them but you know if you're like the geek or if you're trying to rebel against the system you know you're going to be in for a rough ride as we obviously see with Hannah and most of the time you see Megan she seems to think she's on the hills
1: does it only follow one year does it like revisit them a few years later
2: I mean, it's it's the final... It follows them through their final year. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end, you have that sort of, like, classic, uh, oh, Megan went on to, you know, become a film student, sort of, scroll sort okay. of thing. So it doesn't have any sort of real follow-up. It just, Right,
1: and that's the thing, is, like, anybody at eight, from the year of 17 to 18 means nothing 10 years later or whatnot.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, as I said, it was a bit of uh, a a mixed bag uh, really with that and the the other film I watched uh, was The Backyard which is about uh, backyard wrestling again this is in 2002 okay so I don't know if people do backyard wrestle <laughs> but um, for, if you're not in the no basically backyard wrestling is where you and your buddies like go out into your yard and basically wail on each other with homemade weapons and pretend to call it wrestling
1: there was a lot on our episode about it, guys. If you if you didn't watch it, well, that means it's legit. Yeah, totally real thing. Yeah,
2: but uh, yeah, you you have these uh, delusional kids who believe that this is going to be their entry into the W W E.
1: Well, and it's also uh-huh. so cl- In two thousand two. It's just a few years away from Fight Club, which I'm sure was one of the big factors of that fad.
2: Well, it's it's funny. I mean, you should obviously mention Fight Club because. Obviously, when Fight Club came out, you had all these underground Fight Clubs suddenly springing up. <laughs> um, you had this monkey-see, monkey-do monkey, see, monkey, see, monkey do syndrome where like these kids were basically like, seeing Fight Club and going, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's yeah. put my own Project Mayhem.
1: Oh, teenagers.
2: But, uh, yeah, and, uh, the final film I obviously watched was um, Atari Game Over, which is uh, the hunt for the mythical Atari dump-in site in
3: Oh, the I watched that. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, what did you think of it? I've heard sort of mixed. I
3: thoughts. hated it. Oh,
2: really? Yeah. <laughs> I really um, liked it, but
3: um, I don't. I don't know. It felt like very um, uninclusive. Like, oh, okay. like here's this little story we're gonna tell you, but don't worry, you won't get it. Like, <laughs> okay, like I played Atari too. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, it was just very. It felt like they didn't go out. Try at all to go outside of their own little bubble that they had access to and get information. Mm. Um, it, yeah, I don't. I I personally did not enjoy it, but you did. So I.
2: <laughs> I mean, I I the, I hated the fact it was so short. I mean, it, it was like just over an hour long, and you kind of I kind of wanted it to go on a bit bit further. I mean, obviously Zach Penn, he's mm. that sort of documentarian who puts himself into the story.
3: Yeah, I'm not a fan uh, of that
2: yeah he really uh, did
3: make it about him it was like this is what this is my opinion about a thing and i don't know if i i mean i guess that's a huge deal i mean if it works for you or not if you care what he has to say
2: but um i, I just love the idea that, that you find you got all these nerds embarking on this like mecca uh to this trash site, to basically stand in in the desert for like three days while they were digging up this this landfill um and the, there's just so many wonderful moments. Like, you've got the waste disposal expert that, who's, for some reason, I kept thinking of Ray Romano every time he came yeah. on
0: the
3: screen. <laughs> I can see that.
2: It was like if if everybody loved Raymond, had been, instead of being a sports writer, he'd been like a waste disposal expert, he would have been the guy. Um, but in one way, it also felt that they were like trying to um, restore the legacy of Howard Scott Walsh, who obviously created the ET game, which is the. Documentary is based about Which supposedly killed Atari um, I mean I never had an Atari I had an Amiga That was my entry point into gaming So I didn't have that sort of link um, But I know a lot of people didn't like it But I personally liked it So
1: Interesting
2: That's what I've got for you
1: <laughs> that's, yeah, all right, Well thank you uh, Lady Christine Hey that's me That's you, what you got? Um,
3: I'll go quick, nothing too crazy um, Settle down, guys. Settle down. I know. Calm you can't down. Yeah, we too crazy one. now. It's Sunday. Bef- I had watched this before we recorded last time and I forgot to talk about it. I think um, Sorority Row, the Sorority Row remake. The
1: remake? Yeah. Did I- I- I watched that. I can't remember where Man, I stood on it. Man, it is real forgettable. So I guess that explains why I can't remember where I stood on it. I don't
3: remember a lot of it either. It. I don't know what it was trying to do. Was it a funny movie? Like If it just embraced its zaniness and its black humor, it would have been so much better. But then it, it like slams on the brakes and starts being serious. And you're like, wait, am I supposed to
1: care now? It's, yeah. Well, because even the original isn't really that special a movie. It's kind of a mediocre no, no. stature cash in
3: I completely agree with you and that's why I thought like, oh, maybe they could do something Sure, something better. Something with this, but yeah,
1: it wasn't it wasn't great. I no, I saw that movie and I have no memory about any of it. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah so I kinda feel the same way.
2: <laughs> it's one of the better remakes. Um I mean as you say it is forgettable. I actually the house on Sorority Row is I think it's more enjoyable if you watch it for comedic value, such as the fact that you have the lime green swimming pool that everyone keeps wanting <laughs> to swim in.
1: And you have Kristen from Days of Our Lives in it.
2: Yeah. And you fun. can play ridiculous faces of death with it, which is also fun.
1: Mm. There's a, is that the one with the jester at the end?
2: Yes. Okay. The, uh, okay. It's appears.
3: been a long
1: time. Yeah. Was the jester in the remake also, or no? Oh,
3: gosh, no. Okay. No. No
1: man i've remembered nothing about that that makes me feel so old that i can watch a movie that i can give 90 minutes of my life to something and have no memory of it whatsoever
3: yeah i, I just watched it so yeah. i mean i don't remember much either and i paid attention okay i believe you okay thanks um i watched spy kids again because i like that movie Aww, they're All they're all they're all on instant i don't know it's fun
1: is, is it worth like would i enjoy it should i watch it yeah, it's good.
3: I mean, I would throw it on on, like, a Saturday afternoon it and see if it catches your easy. interest or something.
1: Maybe I will.
3: I like it. It's cool. Um, it's obviously got a very um, specific sensibility, mm. considering who made it, but... Yeah, certainly. I I think it's fun. Um, Zach had never seen Punisher, the Thomas Jane Punisher.
1: <laughs> I've never actually sat down and watched it. Well,
3: don't, Punisher. because I was like, oh, okay, let's just watch it, because I've seen it, but... it's way longer than I remember it's way less interesting and the whole time were you
1: like oh fuck let's just watch Warzone instead well
3: we finished it up with Punisher Warzone yeah you did yeah I I like that movie a lot fuck
2: yeah Um, it's got Kevin Nash in it which I didn't realize for the longest time
1: Which Warzone or the first one
2: no the first one he appears as the Russian
1: in is one of his a- many
2: random cameos. That,
1: like, makes me even less inclined to watch oh,
3: it. Oh, I didn't notice that. I, I'm i not going to lie. Like, the second half, I was phoning it in. I had a real <laughs> time paying attention. Um, it, like, t- John Travolta is so bizarre in it. Like, the choices that everyone makes are so convoluted <laughs> and bizarre. Like, I just i had a hard time following it like why are they doing this again they i feel like they reused footage in certain <laughs> scenes they just showed a car driving out a pier over and over again like the same shot of it Now, <laughs> um i think that's streaming too so check it out M i don't
1: no i don't think i will i you know how i am with superhero movies that are too long and not interesting um it's yeah
3: so that's that's something um, <laughs> I went to the theater <gasps> and I saw It Follows. Oh, okay. I still haven't
1: seen it. Yeah, it's real good. Is it good? Yeah. That's cool. I liked it a lot. That's cool. I'm oh, sure. Wait, have you would... seen that one? It Follows? Oh, notice? no.
0: Uh-oh.
1: Oh, no. Oh, God. What happened? Vamp. Okay. Vamp. You liked It Follows? Me? Yes, I'm.
3: I'm so good at vamping. Um, I liked it a lot. Um, I, I I don't think it's without issues issues mm. that I would like to discuss with somebody, but um, I
1: really did like it. I think it's it's really solid. Okay, I'm excited to see it, but I'm guessing that's gonna happen not theatering it up nah, you now. Yeah, uh, no, uh, I understand. You know. Theaters take so long.
3: No, I get it. Um, it takes something to get us into the theater. Um, but that, I, I, people kept saying like, oh, you're going to like it. I think this is right up your alley. So I decided to leave the confines of my house. Man, that's, that's a, that's a
1: sacrifice. This, that is the sacrifice you make. Um, but it's good though. I would like to hear what you think. Cool. I'll bother you when it comes out. I will definitely bother you when it, when I see it.
3: Good. Um, I watched a movie called Alter.
1: A-L-T-A-R or E-R? yeah.
3: With, um, Olivia Williams. Olivia Williams. That uh, sounded Olivia wrong. Williams
1: is not Molly Parker.
3: I don't know who that Olivia is. Olivia
1: Williams looks like Molly Parker.
3: <laughs> who is Molly Parker?
1: <laughs> She's the one that looks like Olivia Williams. I do not know who. Of this Olivia person Williams is on Manhattan. She was in. Uh, oh, Manhattan. is she? You know what? Yeah, Ish, she. Right? She is. I guess I don't and watch that. She looks that. exactly like Molly Parker, but there. I don't know people. who
3: that person is. She's the one <laughs> Alter is a weird movie there were parts of it that were really creepy i think this is streaming too there were parts that were so scary i wanted to die like not like jump scare scary okay but like scary like i will never stop thinking about this um and then it just kind of fought, fell to pieces for me okay. the end was just like what
1: i'm intrigued like, though I'm like
3: kidding. they couldn't they couldn't wrap it up mm. like they just were like you know what this is the end now here you go yeah. Um, Matthew Modine's in it too, if that gets you butt in the seat.
1: Well, n- unless he's, he's playing a dog that's reincarnated from the dead, but... No. Usually not.
3: Yeah, it, her name is Olivia Williams. I did, it just sounded weird in my mouth. But yeah, she's great. Um, I like that movie, okay? I'm interested. Um, I went to the movie theater again. I'm sure you can I guess... I have a
1: feeling but, I might yeah. be able to talk to you about this. I've seen the Avengers. I've seen the Avengers' warnings. Yeah.
3: <laughs> um, and then I saw Stepford Wives, the remake, and that's all I saw. Yes, well, Stepford Wives remake, I know we're going to end up talking yeah, about it. Yeah, no, I don't
1: think there's any need to talk about it. Um, I also saw The Avengers. Yes. What do you think? Um, I really liked it. I liked
3: it, but, like, I didn't like a lot of it at all. What did you not like? Um, I Oh, gosh, what didn't I like? I didn't like... Um, the need to shoehorn in, um, Hawkeye backstory that was unnecessary. I
1: didn't mind that cause I thought it humanized it. It gave that one of the things I always don't like about superhero movies is the whole, uh, lack of vulnerability. Like, oh, they're all superheroes. None of them can get hurt. There's no stakes in any of this, but adding that really gave it stakes. I thought.
3: Oh, geez. I'm glad that worked for you. It did.
2: Um, have you seen the um, the Japanese trailer for Avengers 2 yet?
3: No. <laughs> no. <laughs> they I was, basically I was say show you so the whole shitting. movie. Um, well, no, but, I should have watched that then. Um, yeah, you,
2: you basically get the whole movie, and you also get, like, this really cheesy 80s power rock ballad, oh, well, that and, like, sounds tacked awesome. in the end.
3: I liked this
1: movie, but I thought, I did think it could use more 80s power ballads.
3: Did you? Yeah, well, yeah. you were right. Other people felt the same way. Well, that's the thing is, like, people really
1: didn't, like, it seems like the general consensus is this was a disappointment. It was I really enjoyed it. Like I enjoyed the fuck out of it. It was too
3: calculated and in being calculated it lost a lot of everything that made it interesting. It was too it tried to be too funny
1: and was, I don't know, like to me it, when it when it was when it tried to be funny, it was funny. Like I chuckled a lot. And part of that's also just I think it's I'm very keen to joss whedon humor but i feel like you are too
3: no i hate him i'm done <laughs> i've uh, <laughs> i've washed my hands um it was too calculated and the hawkeye thing was very calculated to me the humor was very calculated to me um the the death was a complete cop-out it totally got me because i am in love with things yeah careful because i am not spoil just in people. love with them for obvious reasons, if anybody knows me, they know why. Um, I really, I thought Vision was cool. I think that was the slickest bit of writing in the whole thing, mm-hmm. was anything around Vision. I think um, introducing a character and then having a, meet- a whole theater immediately be on board is huge.
1: Yeah, that's that's not easy to do.
3: Like, that was impressive. Um, Hawkeye was boring. I looked at the screen time breakdowns. Thor was in it for like 18 minutes, so Thor was barely in it. His flashback was cut up, made no sense. That was like
1: one of my like main yeah. things I walked out. Not liking was kind of what that felt a little bit like they're just trying to set up Thor three, which is yeah. really hard to say now that I said that out loud. Um, <laughs> Elwood, have you seen Avengers two?
2: No. Um, okay. I think, I think mainly because the Marvel fanboys and just the general yeah. comic book movie fanboys. I'm just, it's so oversaturated. Um, I'm just kind of like bored of the whole thing I mean mm. while I rarely go to the theatre anyway because it's so especially over here in the UK it's so overpriced yeah. um, I've decided that I'm going to just take the money which I would have spent for the adventures and instead just going to go and see Mad Max this week so
1: oh, oh, oh I'm drooling right now just thinking about that
2: Wednesday going to be there
1: oh I, I am so excited
2: it is um, from what I hear from the from, from the camp it's uh Basically, it's very much a glorified car chase. Mm-hmm. Uh, the plot's a bit paper thin, but everyone's coming away very happy. So uh, yeah. that's the the key thing. Things are going to blow up, and it's going to be chaos. And uh, we've got uh, Toka from the first film, like back as a as a different villain. No, yeah, we
1: do. Cool. It's so exciting. I'm really excited about that.
2: So uh, yeah, I will no doubt I have something posted up on uh, on the blog this week. Mm-hmm. No doubt, yeah. gushing over that.
1: Yeah, I think the internet, be a bunch or, at of or at least like, our yeah. corner of the internet is going to explode when Mad Max comes out.
2: I mean, I'm so excited right now. They could just have, like, a bunch, like, you could just have Miller, like, pushing a couple of Matchbox cars along, going, making exploding noises, and I'd be happy.
1: That'd be an awesome movie. I'm there. So, now, Christine, I have to ask you, how did you feel about the, because this is, like, has been the main thing everybody kept talking about, was the whole handling of Black Widow.
3: Um it was boring and rote and silly. I don't know why. Uh, clearly it was set up in the first one, but I don't know why that path had to be gone down.
2: <laughs> she's always been a boring character in in these
3: I, I films. I think she's so awesome. Um he tr- I feel like they tried with the last one in Avengers, they really tried. And she was phenomenal in uh, Winter Soldier. Oh. She was so cool, and this was like three steps back from that. See,
0: I didn't think so.
3: And she was boring, and then that thing about
1: why the she's thing. a monster was just I don't th- I don't think that w- I I don't know.
3: Just the whole thing, like the, that whole theme running through it is groan-worthy. Like, everybody taking their moment to be like, but I'm a monster. Like, oh, great, great, <laughs> cool. I don't know, but that we're was so troubled. thing. I don't know, I just don't like it, and it, okay. with the lead-up to it wasn't great, and... I don't know. Well, I will. I will be the,
1: the lone one out there saying I really enjoyed it.
3: No, it's you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. A lot of people really I enjoyed didn't ex- it.
1: I didn't expect to Just based on, I didn't think I would hate it, but just based on knowing how much negativity there was towards it, I was. I did not expect to enjoy myself the entire way through, and I really did. Yeah,
3: I I just think that there were a lot. I could I could feel the st- the studio notes when I was watching it. Like, mm-hmm. oh, they're doing this because they were told this, mm-hmm. and it just was a little much for me. Um, like I said, I cried
0: mm-hmm. I because understand. I have
3: I have really deep relationships with some of those mm-hmm. characters. But you know, yep. e- e-
1: but but do you agree? How awesome is, is Elizabeth Olsen? Oh
3: my god! So good. I love her. She so is much. wonderful. And she just killed this. Yep, yep. And it was amazing, and it made me really happy.
1: Yeah. She, I want but her yeah. to do everything.
3: Yes, absolutely. I'm really glad. She she, she was real great. hmm Yeah. Um, and it just seemed like the camera loved her. Every scene she was in, and she, she was... It, yeah.
1: I mean, she has, like, a very specific look that I think, you know, she's got, like, the big eyes and the kind of, like, 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 the typical Olsen kind of <laughs> lollipop body thing yeah but she is she is magnetic to watch and i mean it was great it's a great character for someone like that too um yeah yeah. i i have a real soft spot for that character too in the the comics
3: i love her and she did a a killer job Mm -hmm. with it so i mean there are things i liked i'm just being super critical because it's something that i really do enjoy
1: understood uh is that all you have yes okay uh, so me, obviously, I saw The Avengers too, which, again, like, I never go to the theaters, so we sat through, like, 45 minutes of previews first. There were
3: a lot of previews. A lot of previews. Yeah. A lot of them. And that, that movie is not short. No.
1: No, it's not. But I, I didn't feel... Granted, this happens to me a lot in theaters as opposed to at home. I didn't... I felt the running time in that, like, it felt like it, I knew it was a long movie, but mm-hmm. it wasn't... Especially once they got to that final act... I didn't feel like, okay, when is this going to end? Like, I was enjoying it the whole way through. And everybody knows how I am with long movies, so. <laughs> uh, Stop it. <laughs> well, because well, everybody always, I feel like it's that, like, oh, it's long. and not going to like it. That's not true. I just I want it to I think we're just well. picking on. Yeah. yeah. Um, and along those lines, I finally watched um, that movie that came out that everybody talked about, Captain America Winter Soldier. Oh, so good. So fucking good. Uh, like yeah. I knew, like everybody had said it was good. I know like a lot of people put it on their best of the year, all that stuff, but like yeah. cuz it was That's wasn't always even... very dubious. Like who yeah. like all right. It yeah. wasn't even just a good superhero movie. It, it was, was a moving. really good movie. Yeah. It moved so well. It it got me. Everybody was awesome in it and interesting. Um it, I mean yeah, the Black Widow, Captain America, just that dynamic is great. They're handled yeah. well. Um, just everything about that movie made me so happy. And then realizing, like, okay, I knew the director was, like, what do they do? They did episodes of Community, and that's pretty much it. How awesome is that? Yeah, Because, like, it's... everything about that movie was good. I,
2: I In the whole about. of the Marvel Ciniverse, though, it's had some very unusual directors. True. Uh, when you obviously look at who's directed it, Yeah, I mean, you know Kenneth
1: Branagh for Thor.
2: Yeah. And I mean, more interesting. I mean, James Gunn uh, getting *Guardians of the Galaxy*. I mean, did they not see *Super*? I mean, (laughs) watch *Super* and it's like this is the guy we're going to trust our multi-billion-dollar movie. Yeah, our
1: most lighthearted of the multi-billion-dollar movies, no less.
2: But um, it's also the strongest. I mean, I haven't seen *Guardians of the
1: Galaxy* yet, actually.
2: I don't know if it's because *Guardians of the Galaxy* it's not just another suit movie. Mm -hmm. It's obviously got its own time and space and stuff when i watched Guardians of the galaxy it reminded me of being a kid and watching Mm. star wars yeah and for years i've wanted to have a movie that would give me that same experience and we had that with Guardians, and it was more surprising that it's james gunn who's obviously done it and i mean you look at his back catalog and there is no indication that he would ever been able to do that Mm -hmm. so uh kudos to him
1: I will watch it one of these days I promise Yeah, I think you'll like it. I know. Like, I got it for Brandon for Christmas and we just haven't watched it yet. Oh, really? Has
3: he seen it? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, he's it in it the theaters. Th- that's Oh, I thought so. I didn't realize you had I guess I did not realize you hadn't seen it.
1: You know me and go to the theaters. No,
3: I know, I know, I know. We saw it twice in the theater. Because the 3D, I thought, was... I had a hard time with the opening in 3D. I couldn't follow it, and it was really dark. Sometimes I can't see 3D well.
1: I can, that's why you should just do it, see 3D.
3: Yeah, but we were like... I think we saw Guardians in 3D, and it was really great. And I was like, yeah, I, I think that we should continue to do this. And I... I I couldn't see Cap at all, so we rewatched it in two D, and I definitely enjoyed it more because I didn't have a
1: headache. Well, that was something that I thought was really interesting about Winter Soldier. I had no idea that was done. I mean, I watched it. At, I, I took all the DVDs the, all the movies, both well, Captain America and then the two for the film for the show today I got mm-hmm. from the library, and it was so great because I was able to get all of them from the library. Except then they were overdue, so I ended up paying a lot of money <laughs> for them. Uh, <laughs> this but anyway, is a good story. Okay, isn't it though? But yeah. with Captain America, I had no idea that that was even done in 3D. Because when you watch it not in 3D, there is nothing in that... in Typically, like, uh, when you see today, movies that are made for 3D you can always tell the shots that are supposed to be in 3D. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember when we saw Fright Night in the theater, we saw it in 2D, but every time, like, something would happen, we'd, like, wave our arms and go, like, 3D, 3D! Because you could tell when, like, somebody was pointing at you or throwing something that it was meant to be in 3D. And with Captain America and, and also Avengers, which we did not see in 3D, it really never felt like I was being left out by not seeing it in 3D. And I think that's a really... A, like a testament to strong filmmaking and good decisions and mm-hmm. that, you know, I'm sure it was fine in 3d, but it's not relying on that. And therefore it's not distracting when you're not seeing it that way. So yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, me too. Uh, okay. The move, the other movies I, wa- I have a weird mix of movies, not that many though. So that's good. Uh, I watched upon Erica's recommendation on Netflix instant. Uh, they came together, the Amy Poehler, Paul, Rudd, yeah. um, David Wayne movie. Um, this was fun. It's because Erica told it to me. She's like, "It's Wet Hot American Summer as a as a romantic comedy, basically," and it is. Uh, it's weird and its tone is strange because the timing is strange. Like it's it is just a send up of romantic comedies, mm-hmm. but because it's like doesn't have a consistent comedic tone, it's hard to kind of like find your way in in a way. And like it took me like a good like forty five minutes into the movie to kind of like sit back and be and like. Fully get the humor But I wouldn't be surprised if I enjoy this more When I watch it again eventually mm-hmm. So I did like it uh, I watched a, a quick documentary A 30 for 30 called Unmatched That was about um, The two tennis players Whose names I can't pronounce or say Remember Maria you Narutra, you blah, 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 sa-
3: That sounds good You sound
1: just like me Christy <laughs> Everett Lloyd Lloyd, Everett The two tennis like superstars of the '80s, who you fucking killed that? Emily. Didn't I? I totally did. Uh, this was a good thirty for thirty because it was a really positive one. It was just about these two women who are celebrity superstar tennis players. Um, who everybody knows their names except for us, apparently. But it's interesting because it's about how they were rivals, but they were they were also friends. But how, and it just it's an interesting idea because with tennis. It's, it is all about that other person you're playing. You are directly against this person. And for a good, like, ten years, they were the two best in the world. So it always came down to the two of them. And so the kind of interesting psychology of that and that they re- they liked each other and and all of that that came along with it. So it's the two of them kind of, like, sitting down, talking now about all this stuff. So it's, it's an interesting watch if, if you have any interest in tennis or you just are interested in kind of athletes and... Uh, like, big athleticism of the 80s. Um, it's it's a good 50-minute watch. I recommend it. Um, watched, uh, t- recorded from TCM, a movie called Above and Beyond, which is late 50s, I think, and it is about sort of a fictionalized account of the guy who ultimately dropped the bomb on Hiroshima. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of him uh, being the soldier who's taxed with the mission early on and how you know his wife he, he can't commit to his wife as a result um the subject matter interested me because i'm anything nuclear war based interests me but this is a bit, kind of a very go military and uh poor wife poor put upon wife kind of movie i was not overly uh impressed with it in the end um uh, another movie i was not very overly impressed with jefferson in paris which is a what Merchant is that? Ivory. It is Nick Nolte playing Thomas Jefferson.
3: Awesome.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, Nick Nolte is Thomas Jefferson. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow is his daughter. Uh, and then a couple of other random people. Um, Tandy Newton is Sally Hemings. And uh, the guy who just got arrested from The Walking Dead and The Wire, um, Seth Gilliam, is that his name? Is Sally Hemings is his brother. This is, it's a Merchant Ivory telling of Jefferson in Paris and falling in love, I guess it's, it's not. So you loved it. I loved it. Well, the funny (laughs) thing is like this movie is so, um, it's supposed to be about how Jefferson like first is kind of falling in love with this married woman, but then falls for Sally Hemings, but it's so chaste about it. They never show him and Sally like in a relationship. And yet at some point she's pregnant. Meanwhile, because they're in France and it's, pre-right pre-French Revolution, like at one point they're walking down the street and there's a puppet show and there's puppet penis in this movie. This movie could give you puppet penis, but it can't give you like Thomas Jefferson sex. I don't understand Which is what we were all how looking those two things don't go together. But so it's a weird because it's like a it's just a very uh, like it tries to be so classy, but it just ends up being really boring and it has so much material that you just really want to see explored. So it's, it's not a recommend, in the least. Uh, a good recommend is on uh, Netflix Instant. I'm curious if either of you watched it. Starry Eyes? Um, no. Spoiler alert. Oh, okay. I see where this is going. <laughs> I will just say um, I liked this movie quite a bit.
3: Me too, lady. I
1: What's funny is this was almost my Netflix recommend. Oh, really? Yeah. Because yeah. I really liked it. But, uh... Yeah, so I'll just wait until we talk about that later on in the show, eh? Yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: Netflix in the UK sucks, so uh, it's probably not on ours.
1: No, it might be. I mean, it's—I don't like. I feel like there's a lot of movies that tend to. Uh, Appear on, I'm all excited to see them, and I never put them on my DVD queue because I could tell they're going to come on instant watch. Like, I have this, you know, this kind of um, sixth sense. It's really useful in life. And I feel like that will happen with It Follows. And it happened with The Babadook. I kept almost going to theater to see it and then not, and now it's on Netflix. So I'm like, ah, okay, fine. I don't have to physically do anything to watch it. Um, So Starry Eyes might as well for you. Uh, And the other thing I watched was Ronnie Hughes, The Bride with the White Hair.
2: Ooh, that's the obscure one.
1: Yeah, it's. I had always wanted to see it because I like Ronnie Yu. He directed two of my favorite late franchise movies ever, Ride of Chucky mm. and uh, Freddy vs. Jason. Um, and I knew that this was kind of one of the movies that got him those gigs, basically. And this is really fun because it's a Hong Kong action horror. It's weird. Uh, it's pretty short. It's strange. Which, which you love. Which I do love, (laughs) yes. Um, But this is a fun one. It it was a long wait on Netflix, so I don't know why. I don't know why it's not as available as you'd think it would be. But it's a really fun movie that I highly recommend. And then I... um, Brandon was mad at me for doing this, but I couldn't resist because it was on Instant Watch. So I watched the Sudford Wives remake again. Oh, you. I know. I know. But we'll talk about that shortly. Um, Yeah, that's all I got. So... In the interest of chronologicalness, should we take a quick break and come back and talk about the step robots? Yes. Or should we not? Should we do something else totally. I don't know guys, what are we gonna do? You wanna play tennis? Yes. Okay, we'll play tennis. <laughs> we'll be back after we play a tennis match.
0: Well, she looked up peach in the dress she made When she was still a mama's little girl And when she walked down the aisle Everybody smiled at her innocence and curls And when the preacher said, is there anyone here Got a reason why they shouldn't wear I should have stuck up my hand I should have got up to stay.
1: We're gonna take a little time travel back to uh, the good old 70s, the time when bras were optional, when <laughs> bell bottoms were not optional, and uh, you know, the values were, were great because we had Stepford Wives, right? Right, good times. right, right, yeah. 1975, The Stepford Wives, directed by not Brian De Palma, who was originally offered the movie. Man oh man I right? hate just imagine that world I forgot who directed it I, It was a script by William Goldman mm-hmm. um, Yeah, it directed
2: by Brian Forbes
1: Brian Forbes, thank you, thank you And I did not see anything else he did uh, But obviously William Goldman is the Princess Bride And many other screenplays and such um, Lots of behind the scenes turmoil Because William Goldman was not happy with Brian Forbes at all but uh, we still get this movie. So, had either of you seen it before? Mm-mm, no, 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 no. Ooh, okay. This,
2: I mean, this is the film where you kind of think you know what you get in because yeah. it's been so like referenced with uh, proper culture. Relevant, yeah. And I went into this thing and oh, this could be very light, but wow, is this dark?
1: It's dark. Yeah. It's um, it's dark, and there's it's darker than I think it even meant to be at the time. Oh yeah You know Because there's some things About it now When you watch it And I don't think It was intended To to be as uh, Just as unsettling As it is today To an audience mm. but, um, um, So who wants To synopsize
2: I'll take a Go crack at it. it Yeah Okay um, The plot basically We've got Catherine Ross Who plays Joanna And she's a Basically, she's a aspiring photographer, and her husband, Walter, here played by Peter Madison, he moves her and the cities from New York to the Connecticut suburb of Stepford. And basically, things are kind of off from the start because it's kind of like taking that t- step back in time where women are there to be devoted wives and to clean the house and raise the children. And obviously, we've got Joanna, who's like the feisty. 70s woman, she's women's lib, and she's very outspoken, and she's trying to stir things up. At the same time, her husband is in getting involved in the men's club, mm-hmm. and things slowly start to go um, astray, as people, women who were, like, quite feisty to begin with, suddenly become very more obedient, and she starts to investigate to try and find out what exactly is going on at Stepford.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And dark things are afoot, in Yeah. yeah. Now, I had seen this before. Um, I read the book a few years ago and then rented the movie very quickly thereafter. Um, And it's one that had stayed with me quite a bit. And as soon as we kind of had said, like, we're going to do a podcast, uh, it was one that I immediately put on the long list of, like, I want to cover this movie one day. Because I I think as much as, like, we're saying everybody knows the story, everybody knows the term Stepford Wife, I don't think that many people have actually seen the movie. Mm -hmm. It's not talked about that much. It's not... The the kind of concept is talked about more than the actual movie is. Um, And I'm not exactly sure why. um, But I'm curious what you guys thought of this one. As I've said, I find this movie really disturbing. Yeah. Um, As a woman, especially. (sighs) But there's things about this movie that I think are really, really unsettling and horrifying... The more you think about what's going on in it because Mm -hmm. it's not just about oh you know and we don't want to spoil kind of the big thing of it although again everybody kind of knows but it's less about just like oh god being a woman and being you know made to be subservient not having rights it's the whole the husbands are making it so that really upsets me I think
2: it was. I mean, it's shocking as a guy watching this. That yeah. this was the the standard. I mean, I don't want to. Uh, obviously, you can look at this certainly from a feminist standpoint, and I know if I try and take any sort, try and combine any feminist politics in it, I'm just going to screw it up. So um, I'll let you ladies uh, handle that side of things. That's okay, but.
1: We have no more right to be a feminist than you. You can be that's a feminist. This is what
2: I'm told. Uh, this is what I'm told because my wife's also a feminist and she's like, oh, all men should be feminists. And I'm thinking if you're a guy and you try to say you're a feminist, you're kind of like that guy at the party It's like, oh, I'm a feminist. Please sleep with me. And so sort of like <laughs> you, you can't pull it off. I mean
1: – I mean I, I, I disagree because I think there is uh, – I mean I know I, I would call my husband a feminist. I think a, a lot of men I know and I, I think you – I'm sure you are. I think – Any man who sees that there is an issue of gender inequality and believes there should not be, to me, that that makes you a feminist.
3: Yeah, I mean, by the if you go by the actual definition of feminism, it just means that you want equality. Um, So if you were to ask somebody, "Hey, do you think that men and women should be equal?" and they say yes, then they're a feminist.
1: In my in my uh, the only women studies or they're assholes. assholes. Yeah, well, yeah, or that. Or their, like, Big Bang Theory girl who's like, no, I'm not a feminist, you know. Uh, it's a dirty word. <laughs> that, was, that was a weird pull, but okay, I'm no, into it. No, you don't remember this? This happened, like, a couple months ago. Oh, I know. This is big I news know. story, because this is the most important thing that goes on in, in the news, um, where they interviewed... Yeah, Kaylee Kucher. That's her name, whatever, yeah. uh, oh, from the Glasses movie, as we like to call her. <laughs> um, and Glasses. it was a big thing where it's she basically movie. said, like, it, and... And it's one of those, like, because we were talking about this when, we were, when Brad and I were talking about Black Widow was the whole, like, I was saying how a lot of people were, were felt like this was kind of a shot against women to take this character and then have, oh, her... um I don't want to spoil it. Now now I'm going back to Avengers, but something that happens to that character. Oh, does that make that's, you know, kind of pleasing to women. No, it's that she didn't have a choice. It was taking away her choice to have made that choice type thing. Um, and that's, and that's to me what so much of what feminism actually is. It is a woman's choice to to be a feminist or not, I guess, but anyway, anyway, language, language, language folks. (laughs) Uh,
2: You're obviously watching this film, though. I mean, I think this film and the James Bond vehicle, You Only Live Twice, I think the this idea of what women's role within society is, they share a very similar idea. And I was shocked with both films when they, it's like that women should be subservient to men, It's basically the idea that Stepford yeah. uh, puts across that these women, as I said, they're there to. You know, clean the kitchen to look pretty all the time. They're not allowed to have activities outside the home and yeah. and stuff. They're there just to keep the house looking nice and stuff. So. Mm-hmm.
1: And it's it's something that it made perfect sense to do it in the seventies because obviously it's right right at women's lib being a huge conversation. And not to already jump into the remake, but it, there were things about the remake that are so fascinating. And Elwood, have you seen the remake?
2: I haven't. I read the article you did uh, post on the Facebook page.
1: Yeah, it's such a mess. The movie's um, a mess.
2: Yeah, because originally it was going to. They obviously hired this uh, special effects team to do lots of really cool um, effects. I'm trying not to give away the ending of this movie because it's <laughs> not, not disappointed. But they they to into all these effects, and uh, in the remake they basically scrapped it all and just decided to go with this idea of mind control. Um, I think in the end so there was a more interesting version of the remake from what i can tell um the fact is i watched the trailer for the remake and it was sort of like you got the kid there with the robot dog and he like looks his dad's like robots are cool and i was like yeah i ain't watching that
1: yeah it's it's terrible it really is bad but there's certain aspects of it that i think are fascinating and one of it is that in you know, in the 70s, you had sort of just the very start of women's lib, where you have, it's a big news piece, and you have people like the Catherine Ross character, who went to college, who kind of says, like, yeah, I flirted with women's lib, like, I marched, but it wasn't, you know, it's not a big thing, I'm married now, I changed my name, I kind of, maybe I wish I didn't. In the 2004 film, it's, you know, it's set currently, and so Nicole Kidman plays this, you know, network TV executive, and it's in a way it was almost ahead of its time because now like the last couple of years, you've had this whole like men's movement thing, which is Mm -hmm. is about the stupidest thing you can get Mm -hmm. um, of the whole, like it becoming a conversation of like, Oh yeah, men are emasculated and all this stuff. And the 2004 film kind of does something really interesting where it's addressing that. And it is Nicole Kidman towers over Matthew Broderick and you know, she, she is stronger and smarter and richer and all these other things than him. And it's a really, you know, it, it made sense to tackle that idea again at that time. It just was handled very poorly. Um, yes, yeah, yeah. But in this one, you get you get a lot. You get hints of this, but you don't. You know, and to me, Catherine Ross as a, as, as Joanna, it's a it's an odd choice because it it could have gone much. Apparently, the first choice was Diane Keaton. Mm-hmm. Um, They talk in the, there's a documentary on the DVD where they mention another actress who they really wanted and she wanted to do it, but then she decided that politically it might be an issue. And I don't know if it's true or not, but Brandon immediately was like, I wonder if it was Jane Fonda, which I think would have been, to me, Jane Fonda can do anything. So I think she would have been amazing. But Catherine Ross is such a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of doe-eyed Uh, Not a Not that she's not a leading lady She is not the woman I would expect To ever Save the world or Mm -hmm. Lead lead a a revolution And in this movie that she's not Either she is A wife who starts to realize something's going on And tries to do something about it But I do wonder if That choice If it was made deliberately to have it be Somebody who you're watching and you don't ever really believe that she can actually do something about it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think in many ways, Catherine Ross is here, essentially the final girl. In yeah. literal sense as well. The fact that she starts off and as she said, she's just very quiet and retiring and she slowly like builds up her confidence. And by the end, she steps up to the plate. She's arms herself with all the tools she needs to get the job mm-hmm. done. And she's like the least likely person of all yeah. the women in Stepford that you would think would be the one to lead it. And, as I said, that's what makes her. She's the sort of quintessential final girl in that respect.
1: It's a good point because you look at her. You know, uh, what's her name? Paul, I guess Paul Prentiss. Paul her Prentice, kind, who? Um, Who? <laughs> oh my God! If you again, if you watch the documentary, if you look at her now, she. They need to make a movie where she plays Gina Davis's mom. Oh really? I love. Oh, Paul she Apprentice, looks man. so much like Gina Davis right now. It's scary, but she's like what six feet tall, and Catherine Ross is tiny. And, like, she's brassy and, you know, and loud and and big, like, big personality-wise. And it is that kind of, like, you expect her to be the fighter. Um, you don't quite get that for yeah. a var- variety of reasons. But it's an interesting kind of power play, too, that I think really works, is that you have Paul Apprentice being a foot taller than uh, Catherine Ross. And then along those lines, you also have... Um, Catherine Ross's husband, Walter, played by Peter Masterson, um, who I didn't recognize from things, but he, aside from being Mary Masterson, Mary Stuart Masterson's father, he also wrote the screenplay for *The Best Little House in Texas*. <laughs> That's so, funny. He's on my list of people that are a okay. Um, but again, the character himself is little guy, not very attractive, not mm-hmm. very, you know, just your typical bland husband. Um which is really fitting for the film where that's kind of the point, I guess.
2: Yeah. He's such a oh he's such a disgusting character though.
1: Yeah, oh god Especially
2: yeah. To the end, when he's like goes up into the attic and he's like talking about his like man cave and he's like, I'm gonna put a pool table in here. There's like no kids and all this and it's like, you know, how sad are you the fact that you've got to join this little man club oh to like, god be, be yeah. feel like man masculine again yeah um but i was i was so i was distraught when they got to bobby when they yeah. when when the the conspiracy should we say yeah um gets to bobby i was just i was just completely heartbroken by that scene well yeah she, i mean she's the fine I mean,
3: if you watch the remake, you know what's coming. <laughs> I, I mean, I think we all know what's coming anyways. But yeah, I've shrieked out loud. I um, um, Even when Charmaine... Um, mm-hmm.
1: uh, Ginger I, uh, from Killigan's Island. Yeah. <laughs> so
3: fun. This movie was so fun. <laughs>
1: and awful. But so fun. Um,
3: I was just very upset at every... Even though I knew what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I was very upset every time it did happen.
1: Because you just see the difference, and one of the like one of the great accidents of the movie, I guess, was mm-hmm. um, that in the book the Stepford Wives are very they're like described as being like Playboy models, basically. They're all they're gorgeous, but they're very voluptuous. They dress very revealing, mm-hmm. and in the movie you don't get that, and and it's a very specific reason why, which is the. Um, One of the Stepford Wives, like the main Stepford Wife, I think it's Carol, uh, Nanette Newman was the actress, and she was married to the director, who William Goldman didn't want in the movie and everything. And Nanette Newman is older. She's probably in her 40s, maybe, which is not older, but to what they wanted in the movie, um, she was not a playboy centerfold type. So Mm -hmm. as a result, what they basically did was they changed the styling of the Stepford Wives from being this very revealing clothing to being very Victorian. So they're wearing, you know, these very frilly clothing and these long gowns. And even though they're still, like, you can still see that they're, like, when Bobby, stuff happens to Bobby, she has bigger boobs than she did before. But mm-hmm. she's also wearing this very ruffly apron and long dress. And I think that's, like, one of the best decisions of the movie because there's something to it where. Part of that, like, kind of anti-feminism... One of those things is women's body... Like, who a woman's body belongs to. And to me, it makes sense that these men wouldn't want their wives out and about dressed for everybody to see because that's just for them. Mm. There's something very Victorian and very, you know... No, you cover up when you go out that I think is even scarier. That
2: being said, I mean, the the big sun hats and the and the dresses look has become, I think it's m- why we now have this sort of idea of Stepford within the pop culture because of that look yeah, that they, very much. they went for. Um, if they'd gone for the more playable model, I think you would have ended up with more association with like Austin Powers uh, Killbots.
1: Yeah, it would, and it would have been so of its time. Ton- like, and I mean, this movie, I'm saying of its time, this movie is very of its time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's something that if the women looked like the sexy women of the 70s, it, I don't think it would have the same effect today watching it because you would just, it would feel like any other 70s movie. Where, whereas for them to be so out of time and compared to Catherine Ross and Paul Apprentice, who dress, uh, you know, very 70s and very, not I mean, not revealing, but very just free. Like they're wearing crop tops and wearing, you know, clothing that most wives, uh, You don't expect, you know, a wife and mother to be able to pull off, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's something, like, Catherine Ross doesn't wear a bra for most of the movie, and it's very obvious. But that's because it's the 70s, and I think that really plays into it. Whereas then when you see the, the Stepford Wives, it's this restraint. It's this lack of comfort and this stiffness, and I think that works so well for it. Um, one of the things I did a few, about a month or two ago, I reread, read, uh, Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale, um, which have either of you read? No. No. Oh.
2: <laughs> Sorry. Both of you should. It's so
1: good. Um, and I mean, for those who don't know, it's essentially take the book 1984, but instead of it being about the horrors of totalitarianism, it's about the horrors of totalitarianism and misogyny. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Rereading this book, where it's set in the near future, where basically men are in control and women of childbirthing age are confined to be wives and just kind of reproduce, and it's a similar thing where they they have to wear robes that cover everything, and sexuality is pretty much the worst thing there. And that book gave me wor- like the worst nightmares I've had in years, <laughs> and I realize why. It's because to me, that's what's really scary nowadays. Um, and it ties very much into this, so it's good follow-up reading for everybody.
2: I'd say the ending of this movie gave me nightmares <sighs> that I've not had in years.
1: It's so, it's so awful.
0: Creepy.
1: It's just and the the music too. That's it's a very overbearing score um, at times. I think maybe that takes away from it, but at the end, it's very just everything and the visuals and the color. Just it's so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Ugh. I mean.
2: When I would... Obviously, when I watched this, I watched this on... I think it was Saturday. I, watched, I sat down and watched this finally. Um, but again, it's just for one reason. Or another, it's one of the songs I never got round to. And by the time I finished, I actually posted on Facebook that I would finally found my companion piece, The Wicker Man.
1: <laughs>
2: you could... This film and The Wicker Man very much go hand in hand. You have the idea of the outsider coming into a community, which has got its own set of rules and beliefs in place, and this idea that there is something going on behind the scenes, Mm -hmm. and it's slowly being teased out as the main person investigates, only to find out when they find out the truth, that they've lured themselves into a trap.
1: Yeah. And something, Um, too, with this... Um, it's also i mean direct written the novel written by Ira Levin who also did Rosemary's Baby and both handle the is she is she onto something or is she a little paranoid mm-hmm. really well and this movie does it because they have cuz they and they also have like a good um kind of what's what's the word good uh, MacGuffin, where they think it's the water which makes sense they're like well you know clearly everything was fine until After a couple of months, the women start changing. Maybe there's some kind of toxins in the water that make people subservient. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of this good, it it gives you another way of looking at it. Because you're not, again, if you don't have the context of knowing the reveal, you have no idea how stuff is happening or why it's happening. So it's a a good kind of side story because it also gets other people talking about it. It brings in other characters that kind of like, yeah, you're a little crazy. Nothing's wrong with your water. You're fine. And so it's always that outsider's point of view that makes you wonder, are they crazy? Is she paranoid? And between this and Rosemary's Baby, like, the worst thing for a woman is for people to think she's paranoid. Because then she just sounds crazy. And and Catherine Ross gets that great line when she goes to see a therapist, which is, if I'm wrong, I'm crazy. But if I'm right, it's so much worse. Mm Mm-hmm. It's... That's the scariest line, though, in this movie. The scariest line is um, when Catherine Ross confronts the the head of the men's association, and she asks, "She says, why? He says, "Because we can."
2: It's because I mean the, the head of the men's association, uh, Diz, because apparently he worked for Disneyland.
1: Yep. Yep.
2: Um, I I personally wanted him to be called Oz, but you know.
1: Ah, that would have worked too.
2: Um, I, w- I would just. I felt that that would have worked uh, better Than than just this This just seems like a really random thing But The I'm trying to remember who plays him now oh, I'm completely blank.
1: A guy in a great turtleneck I'll tell you that much A guy uh, who was rocking 70s style Like there was going to be no 80s But
2: He's like he's just, You have the scene very early on Where they hold the meeting at a house and he's sitting there and he's sketching her, and you see he's like, like just drawing like parts of her face, and just all these these little clues that are sort of peppered along the way, and you you realise one at the end that all these bits are all part of just a larger plan that yeah. each person within the group is playing their part to yeah. to to do it. But I have to wonder. Um, how the husband sort of went along with it. I mean, did he know... Well, that's, and that's something what's that on?
1: bothered me in both the book and the movie, is it's... I think he actually knows... When, I think he moves... Be, in the remake, it's very clear <laughs> that he didn't know anything until he discovers it. But in this one, there's a scene, like the first night they're there... When the husband is outside by the mailbox and one of the other guys walks by and he kind of ha- like has this conversation with him about the wife bringing over food where he's like, oh, does she cook as good as she looks or something? Where it feels like right there and then... No, he, that's why they're in Stepford. Mm-hmm. I think he, I think they moved there because of that. I think that was his plan all along.
2: Yeah, and- It's
1: unclear, and I think that is a flaw of the movie. I think... Um, because to me, and this is something again, shockingly, I'll say this: a remake does really well. You would totally understand why in the remake Matthew Broderick would want this, um, because it establishes very clearly that there's a power dynamic there. In this one, as much as you can under you understand why any guy would want this perfect wife to clean his house, um, it's not. We don't get enough of Walter to really know what pushed him to this point. Mm. But I think he was pushed before he came there. I think they came to Stepford knowing this is what happens in Stepford. I don't started.
3: think he need, I don't think he needed to be pushed. You just think he was one of those guys? I think that it was um I think well what I got from it was it was just the time. Like you yeah. either you either were all about women's lib and burning bras yeah. or you wanted them to stay in their place. And I mean he straight up says at the end, like make me food and and take care of my kids like he cut that scene where he first of all he's an asshole and i think he's an an asshole asshole the whole time um that really abusive awful scary scene when he says that his kids look like ragamuffins and like that's so fucking offensive there is a base level of like disrespect and offense that you don't just decide that that's how you feel like you always felt that way right
1: right and And so i think like oh and this is not your part you know and yeah and Elwood, I believe you, you have, it's mother's day here, by the way. So happy mother's day, everybody Yay. <laughs> it's a good movie to do on mother's day. Um, but that sense of, uh, you know, and I understand too, there is a difference today just because in most couples, both parents are working yeah. but that no, this is your, your response. The kids are your responsibility is such an awful thing to feel and believe
3: yeah I, I think i think you're right like the matthew broderick thing was handled decently considering yeah like he didn't he didn't he didn't realize that this might be something he wanted until presented with it right whereas this other dude i think he was he he wanted this for mm. other like base reasons right um so I think that was really uh, shockingly I'll say that's something the remake D-
1: did, did actually, get right and it's that's update weird thing about the remake the something else that another one of the things that I feel like is a shortcoming but it's the it's the novel just as much as it is the movie is it's one thing to decide we're gonna live in this town where my wife is gonna be perfect and subservient to me
0: mm-hmm.
1: but especially in the in this case and with this family is that they're It's two daughters. Yeah. He has daughters. And it...
3: Is it that way in the book? I can't remember. I don't remember if it's...
1: that in, way in the remake. In the remake, if they even have kids. like, they, But
3: they do, and that's so, it's so funny. They play such a gigantic part in the original, and they really are shuffled off to the side in yeah, the remake. Yeah, you
1: forget they have kids until the very end, when exactly? like, oh, my kids?
3: Exactly. It, they're, they're like the eldest daughter in Poltergeist. You're like, oh, they just sent them to somebody else's house? Okay. Right, right. And or like, if, if they, you see so they odd to together, the
1: it, it does that just as well, where it's like, yeah. when well, you need a kid, there's a kid, but then we don't have to have the kid for a while. Yeah. Uh, Strange. But yeah, like, and that's something that really... Um, I really wanted more of, but I, and I understand it's, and and the book is told from Joanna's perspective, so you're never going to get Walter, what's Walter going to say about the kids, Mm -hmm. but it's something that does bother me is I just want to know all of these men who have decided this is how their, their houses are, this is how their wives are. Is this how you want your daughter to grow up? What do you want for your daughter 20 years from now?
3: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean Walter is. It reminds me a, a lot of um, the, those guys. I mean, the, if you've seen the Louis Fru documentary about uh, the men who go off to Thailand to marry Thai brides, and one oh, no, of the guys he interviews horrible. there, and he says that that women, he's very much that, oh, well, women want to be like men, and the, the pendulum swung too far, and he's got this same idea that, like Walter, that uh, women are. Sort of to be put in that place, and again, I think this is as you've mentioned already that this is seventy-five. So again, women's lib is on the rise.
1: Yeah, it's like a direct um, reaction to it.
2: So it's in a way, it's like that a way that men feel are uh, feeling threatened yeah. uh, by it, and obviously to see see. Walter, he's just irritated the hell out of me. The fact that he takes his stance—it's like when I'm out with my kids, and you have people come in. It's like, oh, you're giving mommy a break, and I'm thinking, what? I'm not supposed right. to look after no, my kids. You're doing <laughs> your job. Yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm a parent too. I'm yeah. quite capable of like looking after the kids rather than running off into the road or blowing <laughs> themselves up or something.
1: It's funny. I was out with friends last night, and one of our friends she has a she has a child. And she was there Her husband wasn't And somebody was like Oh your husband's home babysitting And it was this <laughs> yeah. funny moment of like We never would have said that If he was here and she wasn't It would have been like Oh she's home with, with the kid Yeah And it's you know It's one of those cultural things that I, I think we're finally at a point in culture Where we're addressing it And realizing it's not the way it's supposed to be But it's definitely still there And you know For a movie made in 1975 It's, it's very much mm. very much there Mm-hmm
2: I mean, you've obviously mentioned about the remake, uh, 2004. I mean, have either of you seen the Made for TV sequels?
1: No! I haven't Revenge of the Step
2: for Wives and Step for Husband and I want to get my hands
1: on them. I'm
3: so curious. Man, Um, I don't know if I can handle that.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Revenge of the Step for Wives is awful. Okay. Although although it gives you an ending um, that, that you kind of wanted for this film. I mean, I love the fact that. This film, um, it end. Can I, I? Can we give any sort of indication of the the tone of the ending I, at I all? I think
1: at this point, let's just say that we've we've talked enough about it that we are okay. going to start spoiling, so we can really get into detail. Uh, yeah. Just if, if you're one of those people that doesn't want to hear more, just I think I recommend it. You guys recommend it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, but yeah, we're going to spoil from now, and then we'll tell you when we stop spoiling.
2: Okay. Spoiler. I mean, these- pew, pew. <laughs> the ending it's like the Wicker Man it's a very down ending you know the police aren't going to come over the horizon and solve this no one's going <laughs> to nope, burst for the
1: men's association
2: um so in that respect to Revenge of the Stepford Wives it gives you the ending that you want you get the revenge on the the kingpin of this this okay. operation that's happening in Stepford um so it's good in that respect but it's pretty awful and Stepford Husbands basically just reverses the roles again um <laughs> And Stepford, children, and I wasn't able to find a copy, unfortunately, before the show. Yeah, because they're
1: not, they're not released officially anywhere now. You have to track it probably down, like, YouTube or something. Hmm, that
3: might be worth it. I know, I'm kind
1: of curious. <laughs> yeah. Well, something interesting about the ending of this one is, um, William Goldman apparently was, just hated everything about this movie, was really unhappy with it. And his original ending was apparently much more horrific. How could it have been more, like, what happened... Um, in his, is it just that it was more visually brutal? Because I can't think of anything worse than how this movie ends.
3: Let me say something. I don't know if I've ever said it before or if I, it's clear by now, but the thing that scares me the most is another version of myself. Yeah. I am terrified by that. I, that's why Another Earth is one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. I can't handle the idea that there is another version of me.
1: You would kill um, your twins if you ever found them incoherence.
3: I don't like that. It freaks me out. Yeah. There, is a, there is a button that, that pushes that, that really makes me lose my shit. Um, so I don't think I fully came to terms with how upsetting yeah. this movie was for me. Um, at the end, she is literally killed by herself. All right. I'm okay with that. Let's never watch this movie
1: again. <laughs> By herself that, with better boobs. But
0: oh, <laughs> oof.
3: But that, that being said, this is a fantastic movie, and I'm so glad I saw it. And it's like someone made a movie for me. I mm-hmm. like that feeling, and I don't get it very often anymore. Um, boy, oh boy, was that upsetting. Yeah. Mm. Well, and
2: she it's has the eyes, the... though. Ugh. Those oh, cold, man. dead it's eyes of her, eyes. Uh, her double
1: who is it she says it to, if it's her therapist or what, where she says, like, where she when she starts to figure out what's going on and she knows what it is. And she says, like, she's going to look like me and she's going to sound like me and she's going to have my name. She's going to have my face, but she's not going to take pictures and she's not going to. Oh, God, me. that made me cry. Yeah. Because yep. it's such a horrible thing is yeah. the idea that you're being replaced. And yep. the worst thing, even worse than that, is that. You're being replaced, and nobody is going to care.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, the ending of this film, it reminded me so much of the ending of uh, Dawn of the Dead, you know, where you just got, basically, the zombies are just sort of shuffling through the mole. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And it's very much the ending of this film, where apart from, you know, yep. the, the, the talkative. But they're just basically, like, just doing simple interactions. And, and the, the, it's a real credit to the performance, because you just see these, like, cold, dead expressions. Um, and when they malfunction, like it, when you got to the uh, barbecue or the pool party, or whatever yep. you want to call it, and she just repeats the same thing, it's like you miss really give me the recipe. For I this. die if this.
1: I don't give get the recipe. The recipe.
3: Yeah, and, and that's in stark contrast to um, the oh stupidity of the remake, oh God. which is so, so, in so in over the, remake, the top.
1: It's Faith Hill; it, they're at a hoedown, and <laughs> she just starts dosy doing insanely. And just keeps doing doci do, doci do, doci do, and just keeps spinning around. And it's, oh, it, see, the thing about the remake, like we're saying, there is so much potential in that movie, not just from it having this amazing cast, mm-hmm. but from it getting so much of what makes this movie so horrifying. It makes, and, and Nicole Kidman, I think, in the remake is fantastic. Um, oh my god i she's she I want to be her she before- is like she's so great one of the best performances in a terrible movie I've ever seen she is so good the character is great the character is badass and interesting and take charge and all this stuff and when the character tr- tr- tries to like okay I'm gonna try to make my husband happy it's it's really interesting because it's yeah, there gets to a point where you start to see like, okay, why maybe she's like, she's starting to say to herself, you know, maybe I have been too, too dominant in this relationship. Let me, let me try it out. Let me try being the good housewife. And it, it's, you know, it's still not being right just cause it's not her. Um, and yeah, and the movie does in fairness to the remake or, 2004 version, whatever you want to call it, yeah. it does handle the Walter role with a little more depth because as it makes gives Matthew Broderick kind of that you get to see him weak, you get to see him choose between what he really wants and all that stuff, and it ends up being one of those movies that actually give lets a man be a feminist, which is kind of nice, but it's just a terrible movie. And part of that is that it has these materials, it has this great concept, and it just turns it into a really stupid big budget comedy that's not funny
3: Mm -hmm. yeah it's really got tone issues
1: yeah and pacing issues too yeah like all of the scenes with Bette Midler um Nicole Kidman and Roger Bart which are supposed to be like funny scenes you could tell the three of them probably hated each other yeah they're not great yeah the timing is just off and it's not it's like snappy dialogue that doesn't snap Mm-hmm. And I think that has to do with the fact that they were all miserable making this movie. That was terrible. But it's interesting, and Elwood, I think you like. It's worth watching just because it's so fascinating to see it go wrong. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's Frank Oz, um, yeah. aka Mr. Fuzzy Bear. So oh, I mean,
1: Frank. He's
2: such an. He's oh, one of those um, people. He seems to be getting weirder as he gets older. <laughs> I, I mean, he's like, be, like he was like tearing into the new Muppets movie and saying like, "Oh, you would never do a fart joke." Yeah, he
1: seems. To all the rest very of this,
2: lonely. and I, I, I mean, he's done some and interesting he movies. Mars, I mean, he's Dark Christmas stuff. One of my and
1: favorite stuff, so. movies of all time. And what about Bob?
2: Yeah, um, and I mean, obviously he did that like the stuff, and then he gets into like the sort of mid '90s, and he's doing stuff like Indian in the cupboard, um, and In and Out. I think the only like redeeming sort of film he did, really. I mean, again, it's 1999, and that's Bowfinger. Um, But, yeah, he's... uh, The fact it's Frank Oz means that I'm probably going to get around to watch it at some point just because I'm a a Muppets fan. I like what he's done before, as you said already. Little Shop of Horrors, I'm a big fan of that. Um, Not so much of the original ending, but, you know, generally it's a fun fun ride.
1: Wait, you don't like the... The don't feed the, the plant ending. End? The which one?
2: The uh, the the don't feed the plant ending where uh, Audrey eats the world. Yeah, uh, no,
1: that ending doesn't work in the movie. I think.
2: No, but um, as I said, the the one where Audrey gets uh, gets blown up, I think was was, was very cool. Um, I like I like it. It's a fun movie. I like to pair with uh, Rocky Horror. Oh yeah.
1: oh yeah. Yeah, it's it's on instant in the United States. I don't know if it is there, so it's easy enough to watch. But. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but not easy basically, to watch at all. If
2: you just go off the rule of is it a good movie, and then they'd be like, "No, it's not on Netflix in the UK."
1: But see, this is not a good movie, so therefore, it might be on Netflix. Watch, so is what I think. But it's yeah, so it's one of those like it's a case of a movie where I think this movie on its own, we're talking about the seventy-five original, does stand on its own. Um, and I mean both of you I think Really enjoyed it or really got a lot out of it mm-hmm. I definitely Would recommend the, I, To me I find the movie more interesting than The book but it's a short book And it's kind of worth reading because there are some There are some choices That the movie makes differently that I think In themselves are interesting yeah. um, And a, part of it is Joanna in the book is a little more Of a career woman than she is in this movie with Katherine Ross, and I. It's one of those. I wonder why they chose to go that way. I think it ultimately works, but I'm curious why they chose that.
2: Mm-hmm. But, um, no, Ira Levin's books are really short. Yep. I mean, I didn't I didn't realize until recently he wrote Sliver, oh, that so awful uh, Baldwin movie with I, the. He's
1: in uh, an Ira Levin movie. Wow.
2: It's, yeah, it's basically, he wrote it in uh, 1991, oh, so...
1: I had no idea how interesting.
2: Yeah, he took... Because he did uh, Boys in Brazil, which is 76, okay. and then it took a real long break. I mean, 1991 was... And then he did his final book in 97, which was Sun and Rosary.
1: Okay, interesting. It's, as a novel, it's definitely worth a read. Um, I mean, again, I think this movie is made of enough interesting choices that it's... It's an adaptation I don't I think as much as there are things That I'm curious Why they went with certain choices That they could have made differently I'm I don't know that there would have been A better version of this I think this movie is Excellent for what it is I would I would be fine With seeing more adaptations of it In the future Set Mm -hmm. in modern times I think
3: that is Definitely worth Doing Yeah Um That's why that 2004 version Is a real bummer
0: Mm-hmm yeah. Because
3: I think I think there's other things to say, there's yeah. other discussions that can be had, and in a film of that nature. And it's just a real bummer that it was this weird, slap, sticky, goofy, but yet serious, super confusing yeah. <laughs> movie. But um, the this one is real good. Yeah, uh, I li- I liked it a lot more than I expected to. Good,
1: good. A funny thing about this movie is that, um, it was quite contra- controversial when it came out because there was a huge feminist backlash against this movie. Yeah. There were women who thought this movie was so anti-woman and let's turn all of our wives into robots. And that's the kind of movie, like, it's like when somebody watched Starship Troopers and they think it's a pro-war movie. Yeah. It's like, no, really? Like, come on, ladies. Come on. Like, do you get it? Do you get, really don't no, get it? No, clearly not. not. That? <laughs> and that's a shame. And that's another thing about the um, remake that makes no sense. Is so in this movie they make robots and the robots basically like, kill the wives and the robots replace them. In the 2004 movie, they just put a chip in their brain. So why did they make her Nicole Kidman robot?
3: I think I I don't know if there's behind the scenes quote unquote stuff about this, but that made no sense. There yeah, had to. And I been... think
1: it's just a it was a different plot. I think they they did a lot of reshoots on it. Yeah, there had
3: to be a version where they did actually get completely replaced, but that didn't play well, so they wanted something that was reversible, so it turned into microchips on the brain.
1: And the way you can tell that in the remake, it's a really telling scene. In, like, one of the last scenes where Christopher Walken is being confronted, and mm -hmm. he's, like, giving this big speech about everything, if you watch that scene, you realize nobody, there's all of these, like, the women are there. None of them are looking at him. Yeah. And it's clearly because they had to go back in and film that, and they didn't bother to bring the women back and, like, look at him. Mm-hmm. So it's just filmed in this kind of vacuum, and it's very, very poorly done. But,
3: Sadly, yeah. You know,
1: it's just a mess, and it's such a shame. But, yeah, this one... I mean, I find this movie to be one of... And it's one of those, like, the older I get, and the more, I think, um, you start to see, like conservative discussion in the, in the news and on your Facebook wall and stuff, mm-hmm. this gets really disturbing. Yeah. Because, I mean, we, you know, you and I grew up in an age where, you know, the world was very, women can do anything. Mm-hmm. And we didn't grow up, uh, learning that. We grew up with that being, even though, I mean, not really, you know, we we grew up still thinking, why isn't there a female president all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> at the same time, like we didn't have to grow up and, and see our mothers and our, you know, our, uh, ancestors fight for equal rights and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, we grew up and it was there. My, you know, I had that business Barbie who had a little hat and then it, her, her business outfit changed into a going out skirt. I rem- this was, you know, Hey, working girl, nine to five, all that. Um, and so like this and like the handmaid's tale and all of that kind of brings you back to reminding you that there is a world of people that would rather we didn't live this way Mm -hmm. and that's terrifying because i Mm -hmm. hate cleaning like i like cooking i hate (laughs) cleaning
3: maybe if we replaced you you'd like it oh
1: i asked that to Brandon because i watched it with Brandon, (laughs) and like when the movie ended i like looked at him i'm like just be honest i'm not even gonna look at you like but would you be happier with, with an Emily who actually knew how to clean? And he's- You'd look
3: so cute in one of those dresses.
1: The little frilly ones? <laughs> yeah. The little sun hat? Yeah, but, like, yeah. have you, I mean, I hate, like, there is, I hate cleaning as much as I love nachos.
3: Oh well that's a lot. Exactly. But
1: I wanna I wanna I want close this up,
3: but I just wanna say my favorite scene other than all my other scenes that were my favorite scenes, but when they were trying to have the women's um oh that group seems so discussion great. and they just jumped into this really earnest talk about starch. That was <laughs> so amazing. That was great. So well done. It's but yeah, okay. Really I'll, funny. Shut, I'll shut up now. We've been going on and on about this. I know It has better
1: <laughs> forever. But no, that, that scene, it's, it's, gen, it's unnerving, but it's also yeah. just really funny. Really funny. Because the women, and it's like the first time you realize, like, how good too the women are in the movie. Mm-hmm. Because the, the difference between Catherine Ross and Tina Louise and uh, Paul Prentiss at that moment with the rest of them is so evident that it, it's, they got it. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, Elwood, do you have any more to say about this movie? Or should we um, do our ratings? No,
2: I think I think we've essentially covered it. Oh, I mean, again, it's, uh, it's 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 a film which is worth checking out. You can't just take what everyone assumes to be. Yeah. Oh, um, if you like Wicker Man especially, you would. This is the surprising uh, spiritual offspring to that. I, I, film I like that. Guess.
1: Yeah, I never would have made that connection, but I can totally see it. Yeah, I can see that.
2: Yeah. I'm so glad. <laughs> so oh, glad gosh. it's oh, just not okay. really be. No, me. yeah um but yeah it's it's an interesting obviously it's very much a film of its its time um as we've obviously covered already but it's dated in a way that it's still accessible it's not yeah. lost anything at all and um yeah it it's generally a a chilling thriller that takes place in broad daylight mm, so yeah uh, that's true that is no never an easy thing so again uh, another sort of link there to the, to the work man if man if you will but
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, yeah I definitely enjoyed this one
1: groovy so rating we do here two grades we give our quality of film and then our quality of life uh, we haven't figured out what they mean exactly but they work quality of film <laughs> who wants to go first who's got it out of ten I can go first go for it <laughs>
3: wait which one did you just say quality, quality of film, of film. Oh, man, I'm losing it. Quality of film, I'm going to give this an 8.5.
1: Ooh, very nice. Yes, thank you. I'm going to go just under. I'm going to go, actually, I think... um, I'm going to go 8. Yeah. Yeah. Solid. Yeah.
2: Um. Yeah, I'm going to give it uh, 8 Stepford Wives. 8 Stepford
1: Wives. All of them shining in their hats. (laughs) And quality of life made by the film how did you enjoy it how much 9.5 did it, your importance wow really yes wow <laughs> why what, what, uh tell me why um
3: because it very rarely do i watch something and go like oh somebody sat down and, and we like it was like what would christine like right, right, right um i don't feel that very often anymore i mm-hmm. mean maybe it's because i'm not seeking out things as different or surprising as i used to i right. do kind of stay in my comfort zone as evidenced by my lists but um it that ending was it, that is the ending that i would have written yeah. and it would have been awful um it yeah it's definitely something that hit really close to home in a lot of regards
2: yeah i think you sometimes got to go with the down ending you can't always give things happy ending i mean life itself does not have a happy ending and i think this is probably the i think this and wickman and i think house of a thousand corpses mm-hmm. um devil's rejects these are films which again are not afraid to have a down ending and it it's all the stronger because of that
1: yeah i think it's so much more powerful with with the ending it has it just it yeah. it makes it Hurt so much, and it makes the horror of it so affecting. Mm-hmm. I mean, Whereas, if you reverse it like they do in the remake, it yeah. just—it's not as serious if it's not real, and not lasting.
2: I mean, what I mean, what do they do? I mean, you reverse it. I mean, what do you what do you do then? Is like, oh, everything goes back to Sonny. You have like survivors on Larry King or something. I don't
1: know. That's what. That's well, exactly the, what they do. Is that how it ends? No, actually, yeah. no. My God, no, you didn't know that. It totally does. That's exactly oh. the end. Like, it's Larry King is a, Cameos at the end of the movie.
2: He's such a shameless. <laughs> <laughs> so well, funny. he
1: was in The Exorcist Three, so he gets a pass for that, but. But yeah, no, that is absolutely how the remake ends. It's the interviewing with him, and then it's like, oh, and all the husbands are Stepford wives now. Like, it's it's silly. It's stupid. Yeah, it's very yeah, silly. My now, wife now. now. Uh, but so, quality of life, Elwood?
2: Um, I'll give it eight again.
1: Mm, yeah. I'll go uh, 8.75 for me on quality of life. <laughs> it's, a, it's a powerful one, and it's yeah. scary and affecting and something that I think people need to revisit to kind of remind them that like, and not to say by any means, I'm sure you don't want this for your wife. I know my husband doesn't want this for me, but there is something. Zach uh, might want it for me. Well, I mean, I don't know. How do you clean? If you clean not- as bad as me, then I don't know. Uh. how. You <laughs> like, if, I'm sorry. If I was married to me, I would want me to be a Stepford wife. Cause I'm really bad at cleaning. But there is something about that that I think is like the men in this movie are some of the worst human beings I've ever seen in a movie because what they're doing to these women that they married, not because of this, they married these women because they love them and they love them for who they are. Mm -hmm. And then they've decided at one point how much easier it would be to have them not be them anymore. And that's horrifying and terrifying and wrong. Yep. Um, and this is, this is a really effective horror movie for that. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so that is the Stepford Wives, a high recommend from all of us. We'll take a very quick break and come back and talk about Dark City.
0: I am a woman, hear me roar In numbers too big to ignore And I know too much to go back and pretend I've heard it all before And I've been down there On the floor, no one
1: Our final film of the night, uh, 1998 or 98, yeah, 98. uh, Alex Prius's Dark City. So, Dark City, uh, I saw it on video sometime after it came out. You two, did you guys see it before? I'd never seen it. Never seen it, okay.
2: I put it on uh, TCM like years, years ago, but uh, yeah, it's one I've been wanting to revisit since I uh, saw it, so.
1: Okay, cool. Uh, who wants to give a quick synopsis? This is a hard one to give a synopsis. I'm okay, going to think about it. <laughs> Do it.
2: Right. Um, basically, starring Rufus Sewell um, yeah. as, as John. As a good
1: guy for once.
2: Yes, he's uh, and you know a relatively sane guy. Um, he plays John. Um, basically, he wakes up naked in a hotel bathtub, as we his all mem- have
1: done at some point in life. Yeah,
2: he's having the worst, the worst day possible because not only has his memories been erased, he's got a murdered prostitute on the bed.
1: (laughs) Not like any of us have been there before.
2: Yeah. Um, and he's basically found out he's been framed for a string of brutal and bizarre murders Mm -hmm. and finds himself not only on the run from the police, but also the strange trench coat clad men known as the strangers, as he tries to piece together his missing memories in this city of eternal darkness.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. This very dark city, if you will, uh, this is a mo- so. This came out a year before The Matrix, um, pr- a little bit after, I guess, The Thirteenth Floor. Um, and I mentioned both of those movies because I What's feel Thirteenth 13th Floor. Thirteenth 13th Floor was with um, the poor man's American Clive Owen, uh, Craig Bierko. I'm searching it right now. It's uh, <laughs> It has like a kind of similar feel and look and story to this. I keep just keep finding the Thirteenth Warrior, but I don't think that's. It's warrior. not the Thirteenth Warrior. It is a building, and there are thirteen floors, and it's a similar. Have you Elwood? Have you seen the Thirteenth Floor?
2: I've, I've seen it, but not for like a long time. I know that everyone got very excited over the sort of twist because you're never sure whether you're in this virtual reality. Oh, there world.
3: it is. Yeah, it kept bringing me to the Three Musketeers. Emily, we've talked about this movie before. We have, it. I watched seen it. it like a year yeah. or two ago and probably yeah. mentioned it. Yeah, I've never seen it. Vincent D'Onofrio's in it. I'm on board. I
1: don't remember in it. I don't
3: know. It says he's in it.
1: I believe you, but... It's, it has like, it's just a similar... There was this kind of period in the late 90s, I guess, where you had, for whatever reason, and maybe the internet, let's just say it was the internet, that you had a couple of movies that sort of toyed with this whole... Reality What makes us human What makes us us How do we know anything is real Um, So it's just interesting to me That you had this random Small period of filmmaking Where a lot of different directors Were interested in this Mm. And this movie Alex Proyas Had made before this He had done The Crow Which I've never seen actually Um, I don't like it You don't like The Crow No Okay (laughs)
2: <laughs> so, did you say you, say you haven't seen the crow i
3: have never seen the crow oh. i only saw it like um a year or two well no, that's wrong like three years ago okay it was a recent watch for me it didn't work
2: hmm. right i mean i'm just gonna say straight off i mean the crow is very much set in the same world as dark city
1: yeah that was it's my understanding
2: he, yeah i mean he made the crow back in 94 um he made this obviously in 98 but in very much of the idea that he was not quite done playing around with this, like, noir Kafkaesque world. Yeah, it's um, very...
1: For- I don't know if The Crow is, but this movie has a very 40s vibe. Yeah. And very, very noir, very much. Yeah, but
3: this movie's real good, and The Crow is just <laughs> like, eh, that. that happened.
2: <laughs> How can you say that, Christine? The Crow is wonderful.
1: Oh, I don't know. It's just so very... Uh. Uh, of a time alright well clearly we're going to be covering the crow sometime in yeah. the future
2: I tell you what the the whole cityscape though reminds me really there's three films it brought to mind uh, the first being Terry Gillingham's Brazil oh yeah uh,
1: definitely then
2: Fritz Lang's Metropolis yeah and more randomly and this is only when I on this last watch I did um, it reminds me really of Streets of Fire
1: oh yeah I could see that Yeah,
2: uh, city the city streets especially it's like they borrowed the same sets
1: yeah never would have thought of that one, but I could see it. The, I mean, it's very, uh, which I haven't, uh, uh, not just Metropolis, but is it, um, what's the other one? Is it M? Like, there's definitely like a couple of those like German expressionist films that are very heavily here. And even Keeper Sutherland's character's name, I think he's named for somebody of importance in one of those films, I believe. i really looked into this, guys. Um, But so you you definitely have a lot of very clear visual influences. That makes it interesting. Brazil, certainly. And I'm I'm not, I go on record, I'm not a fan of Brazil, but I appreciate it. I just don't particularly like it. Um, I have to duck every time I say that because people, again, like the way we talked about Dread, people really love Brazil. Uh, With this, it's it's a very unusual movie. It's a very unusual tone. Um, Visually, it's really awesome. Uh, the the strangers, which I don't know specifically what their look is based on, uh, but it's Hellraiser, pretty, I guess. What, what do you think it is?
2: I was thinking it's just Hellraiser, but then again, whenever you have like people in pale skin and trench coats, you yeah, mine instantly goes to that. that I can place. see
1: that. Um, I have to wonder if Joss Whedon was influenced um, by yelp, them. Yup, yup, yeah, right. Uh, that's yeah, the whole they're thing. totally gentlemen. Totally uh-huh. gentlemen. That was that was the only point I had to make. Good night, <laughs> everyone. Drop the mic. I'm done. Uh, did you recognize um, who played the young hooker with the daughter? Yes. That was a little Melissa George in her first I, movie. I love her. I do, too. And, I, and I'm like, and, she looks familiar. And then I'm like, that's fucking Melissa George. Yeah. I, th- I said the same
3: thing. Um, I know her from a, a great many things. But um, I always forget that she's in Sugar and Spice.
1: Who is she in that?
3: She is in that. Oh God! Don't do this because no, then you're thinking that- the
1: of Marley Shelton, who looks a lot like her. No, I swear she's in it. Melissa I George swear. is in like, a whole lot of horror movies and Triangle. I just looked at this. No, usually see everybody gets Melissa George confused with Ronna Mitchell. Oh, I can't. You're wait. confusing her with Marley I, Shelton. I don't. I even can't know wait what to see if I, I, now. If I'm right, with that. I, I don't think you are. I'm I think wrong. I am. Uh, yep. Oh, totally you're right. You are. I thought I was. She's and not then... the lead, though, right? No, she's not. Okay. She's not. Okay. So we're both right. You know I mean, what? technically I'm wrong, because right. I said she wasn't in it. But no, I'm right, because I meant she wasn't the lead. She, I think she has brown hair in it. Oh, well then, that's... I, I, don't, I can't handle that.
3: Well, when we were talking about it, Zach was like, she looks like she was an alias. And then I went through it, and I was like, she was.
1: <laughs> Good <work there>. Good, <laughs> Good work. story, guys. Great story, man. Great story. Um... <laughs> So you do get Jennifer Connelly. I, when I watched this movie, I was excited because as I mentioned um, back on uh projection booth with Requiem for a Dream, I was really excited to see Jennifer Connelly in something again because mm-hmm. she hadn't done much that I'd seen since Labyrinth.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: it, she's in this in kind of the typical sad Jennifer Connelly role where she's on a dock waiting by a beach. Um, but she's also like, she just looks. That's like she going was to be the born. name of her autobiography. <laughs> sad Jennifer Con. I'm a sad, pretty woman waiting on the beach on, on a dock, waiting on a dock. <laughs> uh, but she just like she's she looks so right in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. She's great. Yeah. She just looks like she should have been born like 60 years earlier. In a way. Um. It's it's a hard movie in some ways because it. Because of the nature of the movie, which is, not to spoil anything yet, but we don't really know who John is. He doesn't really know who he is. We don't really have, like, a foot into this world, per se, since Mm -hmm. he's kind of our lead. And we don't know who to trust. We don't know if we trust him. We don't know if we trust his wife or if we trust William Hurt as a detective. So it's really hard to get, I think, an emotional grip in this movie.
0: Yeah,
2: it's... it drip feeds you like bits and pieces and you have to like put the puzzle together yourself it's not one of those films where it's gonna go oh and, and like put it all together and go yeah this is what it all meant uh, yeah. you have to like put it all together and like take the little bits because when you first run into the movie I mean you follow this character John as he's like running around the city and he mm-hmm. has no clue he has like all these little fragments of, um, of bits and pieces he's and these pockets of he's,
1: memory yeah
2: yeah, and the only sort of insight he has into anything going on is the psychologist Dot schrieber, who here is played by uh, Sutherland. And Sutherland, at this point, he's still in that sort of like where he's like a very sort of like grungy and very sort of moody sort of period. He wasn't; he's like pre twenty four at this point.
1: Oh yeah, he's mm-hmm. creepy in this. He's no longer uh, not playing it as a leading man. He has kind of a like droopy eye. He's got a limp. There's a, you're, you're supposed to be kind of grossed out by him in a way.
2: Yeah, he's he's kind of working that flatliner's edge. He's well, that he's like, that sort where, of uh, flatliners.
1: He was doing kind of like the Stand By Me thing where he was he he was a bully. Still in this, he's more like sickly. I think.
2: Yeah, bit, again, the in that respect, I think the closest he's come to it is um, as well as the sniper in the phone, phone booth.
1: Never saw a phone booth. Nah, it's good. Is it good? I like mm. it. Yeah. It Larry Cohen anywhere, wrote but... that. I didn't know that. That makes yeah. me interested in
3: it. Yeah, me too. That's why I watched yeah. it. Yeah, it doesn't go anywhere, but it's—I yeah. mean—it's a guy in a phone booth. Well, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, let me ask you both this um, before I forget: Did do you know? Did you watch the director's cut or the non-director's cut?
2: Uh, um, I didn't realize it was a director's cut. I just watched the standard version.
1: I watched the thing that the internet gave me. Okay, did, uh, was there, do you remember, was there a narration in the beginning? No.
2: Yes, there was.
1: Okay, so, Elwood, you watched the theatrical cut, Christine and I watched the director's cut then. Oh, fascinating. Um, yeah, it was one, it's funny, because I own this movie, and then I realized there was a director's cut out there. And I looked at my DVD and saw it was, like, a much shorter running time. So I took it out from my library where it was the director's cut. And I'm sure there's other differences, too. If you go on, like, one of those Blu-ray sites, you can see, yeah. like, side by side. I
3: love those sites,
1: yeah, by the way. Well, they get I, – I always want to love them, but then, like, they're so technical that I, I can never, like, really care. Um, but with this one, the big difference between the two – and it's funny because it's – Goes to another movie that this movie is certainly influenced by is probably Blade Runner. And yeah. Oh gosh. It's the, the same models. case where the studio basically felt like the opening of that this movie was confusing, which it is, but I think it's supposed to be. Yeah. Everything gets explained. It's, it's fine. If it's explained, confusing. But what's I mean to the movie Christine and I watch? You really don't know what's going on until ninety minutes into the movie. Oh as really? As far as the. Who are these things? What's actually going on? Really, we have we don't know until 90 minutes in when it's explained to us. In the theatrical cut, I believe the opening narration basically tells you what's causing this world to be what it is.
2: It, really? it basically says that the strangers um, they they were dying, and then they saw our planet and. And tug to us, but <gasps> yeah.
1: that's the most exciting thing. I hate that that happened. How crazy <laughs> is that? Basically, yeah, it's. I mean, it's aliens, which we, you know, if you watch the the theatrical cut, they tell you in the very opening, see, it's the scene that later I think Peter Sutherland says it. They just take that speech and they play it at the very beginning. So from the Nuts. beginning, you know that there are aliens. They are controlling things. This world isn't the, what it's supposed to be. If you watch the movie without that, you don't know that until 20 minutes from the end of the movie. And I think it works, though, because we still find everything out. It's a detective story. Mm. I mean, this is a noir. This is, you know, a man without a name trying to figure out what's going on, a detective who's trying to solve the case, and we learn it when William Hurt and Rufus Sewell learn it. Oh, and so that's weird. to me is so much more effective because yeah, it's that exciting. Like we've talked about, like with the Wicker Man, like when you don't know, and this movie, you really have no way of knowing it until they just kind of come out and, and tell you. But I just, I you know, I wouldn't want to watch this movie knowing it's aliens. Yeah, that's kind Man. of a shame.
2: I mean, I just love the whole idea that. You're in this sort of familiar world, but at the same time, it's very unfamiliar. Oh, yeah. Like, when you go past and, like, you've got the movie theater and it's advertising films with titles like The Evil and Nightmare. Yeah. And there's this whole mystery around getting to Shell Beach.
1: Yeah. And everybody, uh, you know, everybody, yeah, everybody's been to Shell Beach. How do you get to Shell Beach? Uh, you, uh, I, I, yeah.
2: And at the same time, you have all these, like, little, odd little elements. Like, uh, you've got William Hurt, who plays the police inspector Bernstead. And he's playing the accordion at the start, yep. and he's, and we see like the detective who was like assigned to this murder prostitute case, and he's like gone mad. Um, it's yeah. all these little moments that uh, that you sort of put, put together, and I think mm-hmm. it was just just how it's constructed it makes me wonder why we don't obviously talk about Alex Pryor's his films more, um, especially when he's doing film. He did films like The Crow. We did obviously uh, this film, and. Even, like, when you look at his later films, like The Happening, uh, which, no, he apart didn't the from happening. the ending, is is all right.
1: Wait, wait, wait. wait.
2: You you knowing? knowing? Knowing, even, knowing. sorry. <laughs> oh, no, whoa, happening whoa, is the one whoa,
1: dude. The Happening <laughs> is the one
2: where we all wonder what the hell we decide. <laughs> yeah. No, The knowing,
1: knowing is a, is, uh, Knowing is a film that, like, I found the first like thirty minutes of that movie so amazing and scary and fascinating, and then it kind of goes off the rails for me. Um, I don't know if you if did you guys both see Knowing. I don't really recall. Yeah. Okay. okay, I mean, I, that I movie watched had it. Such but... a strong opening, and then kind of loses it. But yeah, it's an interesting one, and I think I think he definitely has grand ideas for movies. I think he's he has a lot of influences and he he's proud of them, but he also has a lot of really original ideas. I don't know that he's made a masterpiece yet. I think he has one in him but hasn't I
3: think this is pretty fucking close.
1: Do you do? That's awesome.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So why tell me why what to you makes it a masterpiece? Oh my gosh, it's it's it is very
3: derivative and referential, but yeah. in like the way that things should be mm-hmm. like, it's
1: not specific in a, no. in a referential, which I like, but it, in it, and it builds
3: a really wonderful world. And that makes me sad that there's versions that people are actively seeing that spell everything yeah. out because it, you don't understand. And it's good that you don't understand because it takes you 40 minutes to realize mm-hmm. that the sun hasn't come out yeah. or, and, and it, you finally start to piece together, like, well, what time period is this supposed to be in? Right. And you feel as off-kilter as everyone else because you don't know what's happening. Like, why did it seem like all those people just woke up when he walked in? Mm-hmm. Like, it's great that you don't know. And there is, there is eeriness and unsettlingness in, in the not knowing. And then when you finally do start to see more it is compelling. It's not, it doesn't make you lose interest. It makes you want to know more. And even when they lay everything out, you're like, what? Yeah. And then it makes you start thinking back. Like my, the thing that I, I think the thing that really made me fall in love with this is, is when Jennifer Connelly goes into the investigator. I don't remember detective his office. And she's, she, he asks her about her wedding ring and like, do you wear it often? And she's yeah. like, i like, That that's nothing. That means nothing. It could even hint at the affair she supposedly Mm -hmm. had. But like, you look back, and that line is just so heavy. Yeah. And and it's just really great writing, interesting writing, subtle writing,
1: Um, very deliberate. Where if you I think watched it really carefully, you you almost want to listen to every line. Yeah. Every interaction means something or reveals something. It like just even, like the one officer who's like shoe is untied, and then later he says, "William, unhurt, your shoe is untied." Yeah, like you're like, "Oh, did could one of them have you know in another like trial or whatever you want to call these nights? Were their roles switched? Was one mm-hmm. of them the detective in charge and one of them wasn't?" Yeah, there's a lot more to the movie than I think made it in the movie, mm-hmm. and it's one where I feel like it's it's why I think to me like why I say, I think Alex Bryce has a masterpiece in him is, and I know with this movie they had to do there, there were budget issues. It ran over schedule over budget. They had to go back in and do things. And I think as a result, there's something for me that's missing in the movie and I don't quite know what it is. Oh wow. Part of it, I think might be that attachment that I don't have and I want. And again, it's kind of designed where it's specific deliberately that you don't have that attachment um but it kind of holds me back. It makes me feel like this is a really great looking movie and it's doing really interesting things, but it doesn't stay with me the way I want want it to, I guess. Hmm, Emotionally, it doesn't get me nearly as much as I want it to. Um but I think like to me I'm sure he ha- probably had like a room filled, like the way the crazy guy in this movie has that, you know, bulletin board that goes all over the room with the Mm -hmm. writing and everything. I'm sure he had that for this movie as far as every night, like which different lives people have had and all those different things. So I think he has that kind of mind and, and capability as a director to do something really, really world changing. Mm -hmm. Um, I want this to do it to me. It doesn't, but it's, you know, it's a taste issue, I think
2: it's a, it's a shame this film isn't more recognized Especially because it's been so influential On in oh, films yeah. which have followed I mean, you only have to, like, look to it uh, Look to, like, The Matrix Which came out the year after Well, apparently
1: which... The Matrix bought a lot of the set From this mm. movie When this movie was finishing They had, like, all this stuff left And the production of The Matrix bought it and used it
2: Well, the Richelieu seemed to borrow wholesale yeah, like the whole like the whole theme of this film. Um, I, mean, I don't and
1: know that it could have been just because this came had to have come out when the Matrix was in production or at least written by that time because they were pretty close.
2: I, d- I mean, I- this has been. Cause I judge everything the Wachowskis do a lot more harshly because I think they're just like a couple of hacks who just got lucky. I mean, after the Matrix, they did they really ever do anything that? was of note again, everything else that came after was very flawed um, anything that was of note, it was always them as the producer, and I mean Cloud Atlas, again, was nice but it went on for like forever and a year
1: <laughs> I keep I want to watch it, because I want to read the book because I liked that author's another book yeah. he wrote, but I know I feel like I really want to watch the movie before I read the book but I'm like, when am I going to find three and a half hours for this movie that's um, that's the way to go
2: yeah, I mean Inceptioning is in particular is oh, a yeah. big debt to this film.
1: Yes, and I don't know that Christopher Nolan has outright said it, but the world the that scene where Ellen Page is like building the world is so so yeah. influenced by this movie. But
2: at the same time I'm like watching because obviously the strangers they can manipulate the city, they can change everyone's role. As they see fit, and every time they like move in buildings, there's a scene where he's being chased by a building, and I couldn't help but feel the opening of Monty Python's Meaning of Life with the pirate
1: accountants,
2: (laughs) and that was what instantly sort of like came to mind. But um, the strangers themselves, one of them's played by well UK um, celebrity uh, Richard O'Brien, sure, riffraff. Again, yeah, obviously I forget he's in. He obviously did Rocky Horror, but over here we just remember him more for doing Crystal Maze. Um, and uh, also Bruce Spence, the Jarro uh, captain from Mad Max, in who hopefully will show up in the fourth one.
1: Oh, no. Uh, and I love what something that this movie does that it, it's such an easy trick, but it works so well is the child stranger. Because it's and they say like and the concept of the strangers is so cool, which is basically they're occupying corpses, like. When people die, they use bodies as vessels and it kind of, you know, and then I guess they lose their hair and everything else, which is so cool. But then that's why you can have a child who is not a child in any way, but who looks like a child. Mm. And it's so creepy because that, oh God, that little kid is just so creepy.
2: I mean, they're just a massive, they were just like trench coats and chattering teeth.
1: Yeah. The chattering teeth is very Hellraiser too. Now that we said
2: but richard o'brien is he he just acts his ass off yeah. in this film as he's just overemphasized the word he's kind of like a, a creepier version of riffraff yeah. he takes what well, he started with riffraff and then cranks up the creepiness yeah. um and the fact that they have all these really weird names like mr hand or mr book and they don't actually apply to anything even though you would think oh this is like some indication of his role but They don't. They're just random names they've assigned.
1: Which makes sense, because the whole point of The Strangers is that they don't... They're looking for what makes humanity humanity. They're looking for, like, their soul, basically. Their their planet and their people have died, and they understand that human beings have something that they don't. Something that has made them what they are, who they are, made them survive, and they're trying to find that. And... It, it's, and, and that's, I and mean, part of it's a little cheesy in that, like, oh, well, you'll never understand because you can't love or whatever it is. <laughs> but, but there is that it works and it's, you know, it, it's cool. They're almost too, um, and I guess this, I don't know if it was influenced by or not, and I haven't gotten too far into this part of Star Trek to know, but they feel very Borg.
2: Yeah, I could see that.
1: Yeah, the whole, like, just absorbing humanity and the look of them being very kind of white and the same and everything else, it's... I got that kind of vibe from them. Mm.
2: I mean, I have to ask, what did you think of the big reveal of Shell Beach?
1: It's your... Uh, it's,
0: uh, hmm.
2: I, mean, I mean, I personally love... Because obviously Shell Beach is, like, the key part of the puzzle, and when we obviously find out uh, the secret of Shell Beach... And you obviously see William Hurt's uh, character turn around, and it's like this big reveal. I just, well, it was an absolutely wonderful scene.
1: Yeah, well, and the that big reveal too, and what happens to William Hurt. I remember now. I watched this when it shortly when it came out on video, so I remember watching this a dozen or so years ago, or more than that now, I guess. Um, and the scene where the doors open, uh, and. William Hurt has his fate was really effective to me and really horrifying
0: because
1: it gives you that scope and that view and that, you know, to see what this world is. Um, it's, it's so different and it's so scary and it's the whole, like we've talked about, we talked about gravity, like the scariest thing in the world is just floating in space. Mm hmm. It was scary. I like yeah. that it was space. Yeah,
3: because I like when things are space and not like, <laughs> no, like like it's space and not like it's vampires. Right. Like, I I prefer that. Mm-hmm.
2: So yeah. yeah, it's it's weird that there's all these great moments in Dark and the thing which stuck with me the most in this last viewing is when he goes into the diner and they got the wall of like. Um, like slots where you can, like, take out like jello An and
1: automat. Yeah,
2: and the automat. I thought that, would, that was cool. I mean, do those places actually exist because we don't have them over they here? They don't
1: now. They did. If you watch Agent Carter, um, it was something that I. my understanding is it was big in the 40s. Yeah, they
2: need to bring those back. They That looked awesome.
1: They're pretty convenient. Oh, you, that green jello looked pretty tempting. And the fact that it was called green jello and not like lime jello was like, hmm, I'm gonna have myself some green jello.
2: But, um, yeah, because obviously his, his wallet's in one of the compartments. I mean, what sort of dick move is it to put it in one of the compartments? You know he's not getting money because <laughs> it's obviously his wallet's there. It's like, it's like those boxes that, like, break glass for hammer. It's like, well, sure you need the hammer to, to break, break the glass. The
1: glass. <laughs> Suppose, I mean, according to the movies, it's like all, you just need an elbow, but that just seems like a, a hazard. But uh, uh, Roger Ebert was a huge fan of this movie. Um, he did a commentary on the dvd
3: wow i'd like to listen to that
1: and then when they did the director's cut he did another commentary on that so he this was one that he like would would show at like his film festivals and like repped really hard for um so there was you know one champion for this movie but it it did not do well and you can understand why how yeah how do you market this this yeah yeah you can't you shouldn't be selling it as an alien movie Because you're kind of revealing what makes it interesting Although then the movie does it itself And it is not You know, it's not Independence Day And it's not a horror movie It's that really hard place in between Which is fine Unless your movie cost A lot of million dollars Which this one did And then you just have to accept the fact that you're not going to make your money back on it mm-hmm. yeah. But that They kind gonna...
2: of just Tried to piggyback on the success of The Crow um, yeah. It was sort of like because everything it was like from oh from the director from the of The Crow yeah. and it was like oh look how dark this is it's like City of Lost Children and yeah those those sorts of movies So but yeah it's not an easy no. movie to uh, to try and sell and the the same, the images they've chosen on the back cover don't seem to make it uh, seem any more accessible
1: <laughs> and you didn't have anybody. That could pull in an audience. I mean, William Hurt is always a respected actor, but has never been a box office, you know, clout. Jennifer Connelly was not. Nobody. Everybody would be like, "Oh, that's is that the pro from Labyrinth." Um, and Rufus Sewell was usually a, the dick in movies, and still is usually. And it, that's something fun. On the the DVD, has um, a pretty extensive um, documentary about the movie, and they it goes on and on. I actually couldn't finish it because it kept going. But, um, he talks a lot in it and he, it's funny cause he seems like a really nice guy, <laughs> but like, everything I see him and I feel like he always plays a dick Yeah, and like a royal dick, like not just like a jerk. Like he's playing like an evil, like bless and bless the child and a knight's tale. We're like, no, he's a sociopath and he's got those bug eyes, but he actually seems like a pretty funny guy. And he's an interesting choice because of his remoteness, I think. Mm. He's interesting to watch, but he's not easy to instantly um, sympathize with. Whereas William Hurt has that very openness about him, that it's easy to kind of feel like he's a good guy. With Rufus Sewell, Sewell, however you say his name, you don't know, and you don't know right away that he didn't kill women. and He doesn't know that he didn't kill women. And it's, again, kind of like the way we saw with Catherine Ross being... Not necessarily the first person you would pick for that kind of movie. I think Rufus Sewell is the same in the same boat, and I think it does work for the movie ultimately. But it's an it's an interesting choice.
0: Yay! Yay.
3: Okay. Thanks for making me watch it. i yeah. Well, you know,
1: I can't remember <laughs> why I picked that. it. Elwood was this on your list?
2: Yes, uh, okay. I, I sent you a list, a list over there, and I was like, I was really surprised that you picked it, picked this one of the uh, films I sent you. I thought you would go a different direction, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm glad that you did. I, I'm especially glad that uh, you enjoyed it, Christine, because it's always the worst thing. Like when I was doing <laughs> the Lancaster, in yeah. the Lancaster, I'd like pick up and tells us like this is going to be the movie everyone's going to love, and they're like going to go, oh, where did it know <laughs> it? And no, it was just four guys, just like. Beating me verbally Aww. over how much they hated, well, me for making them watch it, and too for how bad. Like Must they hate
1: freeway. them? This is I In America, we're like, "This is stupid." Emily's stupid. Why is Emily so yeah. stupid? Picking her stupid I, I, movie. Th-
3: I think that was a direct quote.
1: It was. Yeah. No. Why I have it on, really the, on the back of the ep- that episode box that I made. Yeah. So it, it it's a gamble sometimes. Yeah. But well, yeah well, I because I hadn't seen it since in such a long time and I really wanted to see it again with, with new eyes. Uh, and then I kind of just, cause I think there are, uh, when it comes to the, like, it's not really a pairing for Stepford, Stepford Wives, but they do share that idea of somebody, that puppet master thing of somebody manipulating you. Mm-hmm. And with this one, it's, it's there. It's not, um, they don't go so far into it, but the idea that, well, nobody really knows who they are because every night the strangers might change them and they might take you from being rich to being poor and from being a faithful wife to not being faithful and from being mm-hmm. a regular guy to being a killer. And that sort of lack of control over your life, um, you know, that's there here, similar to the way it is in a, a bit in Wives. You Wives. Know, no, totally. I thought they were... Well are com- compatible in their own way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this movie also has a really good big score. Mm-hmm. Like it's very like Holst, the Planets, like very just <laughs> classical and giant and the kind of movie that like gets you like, oh, this is an important scene, but in a, in a cool way, not in a distracting way. I thought.
2: I thought it was a little overwhelming in places. But it is. Of like, you were like soundtracking stuff for the sake of soundtracking. It's sort of like, oh, well, we paid this guy to soundtrack the movie. Might as well make sure we got money's worth.
1: <laughs> okay, bring in the horns. We got five French horns. Okay, yeah, have them all play. I didn't play. notice that at all.
2: Really? I remember scenes yeah. where I was like, do we really need to soundtrack this? Can we just like let it run on its own or maybe tone it back? But it's no like, it. they really push the soundtrack forward and it like creates in a way... Yeah. This false sense of uh, tension and scene—it mm-hmm.
1: is I mean, a v- it is a huge part of the filmmaking, definitely. And to me, it works just because the rest of it's so. I mean, the the styling and the like the forties noir styling so big and so um, like blatant, and then the kind of sci-fi world is so big that I, mm-hmm. for me, it's okay for the score to match that, but... Maybe that's why I didn't find it to be distracting. distracting yeah, yeah. But I, mean, I noticed it, so it was definitely big enough that I, it called mm-hmm. attention to itself. For me, it worked. I guess I could see it being a little too big for some people. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. But well, yeah, anybody have uh, more to say, or uh, should we go it down?
2: No, and it's it's a hard one because you obviously want to discuss the various elements, but at the same time, for those who haven't seen it, you want to kind of leave something there for them to uh, to enjoy rather than think they've seen it already. So yeah,
3: yeah, I think I said a lot. I do like it, and um, for lots of reasons that I said already, <laughs> I I really I really enjoyed the writing and the subtlety of it and the way it seemed to naturally unfold that's why I'm shocked that there's a version that doesn't have that happened.
1: yeah and it's a shame and it's like just one thing like literally they just take the reveal and put it right at the beginning of the movie just so that the audience knows what's going on mm-hmm. not understanding that the audience doesn't have to know what's going on it's a mystery um, which is a shame so watch the director's cut folks if you can yeah um, I mean that's my library had the director's cut so there was that uh, this is on HBO Go now But I don't think it is Director's Cut so. um, But yeah its I almost want to rewatch it With the subtitles on Just like the way We're saying about The dialogue being So specific and loaded Yeah I'm curious How much more I would get From like really Reading and listening To everything said To see all mm-hmm. the clues Because it's It's a very careful movie But it's also just Gorgeous and big And unique In terms of its look So Yeah. Watch it on a big screen, folks.
3: Yeah, it looked nice. It was really pretty.
1: Yeah, very much.
3: Okay, yeah. Just making sure everyone else thought it was really pretty. It's all
1: good. It's all good. Uh, Ow, (laughs) ow, 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 ow. My cat's clawing me, sorry. Sorry. Um, That's okay. He didn't mean to. Uh, All right, so rating the movie out of 10, quality of film. Um, (laughs) Ready?
3: Do you want me to go first? Sure. Um, 8 mm-hmm. <laughs> I really asked that like a question yeah.
1: 8 <laughs> 8 is my statement 8 is my statement and I'm sticking to it That's. Yes. I'm just going to go just underneath and go 7.75
3: cool that's mm-hmm. good
2: alright I'm, I'm just going to complete fanboy and just give it 9 go for it woohoo I've just actually seen what I was, like, watching when I first saw this film. And, like, on my list, yeah, I was, like, I saw Martyrs and Narc the same month I saw this. <laughs> that was a dark, dark September, that one.
1: <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> that was. I mean, this one at least has a little bit of hope to it, so there's that. Although some would say Martyrs does as well, so who knows?
2: Yeah, it was. oh god, it doesn't, I think, mean, yeah, it was just just going on, it just seems to get dark, so I'm gonna stop <laughs> looking at what I viewed. It's like, Oh no we did look at Pieces I think mean, I made two reviews Like the month after So okay had that effect So I managed to watch Alpha Dog and Pieces so.
1: Well Pieces is joyful Even if it involves A lot of people dying
2: Yeah even I mean funny, that was The turning okay. point so.
1: Yeah. Alright and quality of life Made by the movie um, I mean for me I think this movie's really interesting And really Loaded with cool stuff And I kind of want to Give it a 10 Just for um, Influencing Hush Of Buffy uh, but still for me, there's something, like I said, there's an attachment I have with it that I find mm-hmm. it hard to get fully into. So for quality of life and such, I'm going to go 7.25.
3: Interesting. Mm-hmm.
1: Eight. Okay.
2: Uh, I'm still going to stick with nine. I think it's yeah. it's too influential. It's too unique um, for, for you to sort of just lump it as it being just another sort of sci-fi thriller yeah, yeah. It, especially it when it stands out so, so much movies. on its own
0: yeah
2: and the fact that it was so endorsed by the grand pooh bar of mm-hmm. film criticism himself yeah. um i mean this and citizen kane are like the two films i think this and i suppose you could say heaven's gate would be the third um but um yeah i think that if the, you want any more sort of a shining endorsement for your film get had, have Roger Ebert get behind it. But. It's a
1: little hard to do now, but... I know. You know.
2: Get Zombie Ebert to get behind exactly.
1: it. Exactly. Get, you know, get a stranger to go into Roger Ebert's body and then endorse your film for you. And there you go. Alright, so that was our take on Dark City, uh, both the director's cut and the theatrical cut, uh, which we clearly recommend, so go yeah. check on it. Um, before we say our goodbyes, uh, we would let Netflix Instant Recommend Sorry, I Eyes sp- I figured. Uh, Christine, why do you recommend Starry Oh, I really liked it.
3: What did you I I thought it was going to be like really, oh gosh, overused word time. I thought it was going to be really hipster and cliche. Mm-hmm. Um, but it. Like, if it is, it's in service of the story they're telling.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. It's
3: really good. It's really fun. It's really affecting. It's fucking body horror,
1: which... Oh, God, yeah.
3: Had I known it was going to be that bad, I may not have watched it.
1: Well, because it, it, it takes its time to tell you it's going to be that, oh, too.
3: it made me straight up sick at some parts. I couldn't watch yeah. Like, I, I kind of had my head turned, like, tell me when it's okay to look. It was so gross, but it was really good. And that the actress whose name she, I made she's a point... Alexandra Esso, I think? Maybe. I made a point to remember it and then forgot it,
1: but she was so she's fantastic good. fantastic in it. Boy, it was good. It's, um, what I... I like two things really much, like, a lot about it. One of them was that the fact that it, it, like started the story and ended the story at a point that I think other movies wouldn't have. I think other mm-hmm. movies would have gone past that or started earlier kind of thing. And this, like just the timing of it. Like I was surprised when things happened. Yeah. Uh, but that was to its benefit because it surprised me. And the other thing was like, and I feel like I've watched a lot of indie horror films recently that have done something pretty cool where they've had their lead character be a young woman who. Makes a lot of really fucked up decisions and not the right decisions, but Mm -hmm. just like, but I see why she does them. And I think that's the case in this movie. Um, Alice Kills and Contracted, I thought the same thing. And I know some people hated Contracted, but I thought the same thing where it was like really strong female, like lead female performance, but that it was a character that was fucking up. Mm hmm. But I understood why she was making those decisions. And I like that about it. And I like that about this one. Because I totally yeah. got why she did everything.
3: Yeah, and and it didn't... It was one of those scream at the TV, kind of. Yep, yep, yep. Things like, why are you doing this? Stop it! Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, it's a good one. Um, my Netflix recommend is a South Korean film that I really enjoyed. It's on Instant um, in the United States. I don't know if it's by you, Elwood. But it is a South Korean film called Flu... And nope. it is sort of a, <laughs> sort of, you know, a kind of a contagion-like movie where there's a flu and it's going around South Korea and it's really bad and killing that people and stuff. That sounds terrible. It's, yeah, it's, oh yeah, you who doesn't like body horror might not enjoy it. No. Um, I liked it for a lot of reasons. One being that the leads are really engaging and likable and fun there's like a a little girl as a main character and she's really good and funny and precocious, but not in an annoying way. Mm -hmm. Um, The pacing of it just moved well. It was very, it felt pretty realistic. Um, It just tied things together. Interestingly, it's a Korean film. So of course it's too long, but it actually, because it moves the whole time, it doesn't necessarily feel it's still interesting the whole way through. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think any, but like, I mean, I love kind of, virus movies um so this was right up my alley and i think if you're a virus movie fan you'll like this one so that's my pick uh elwood do you have anything for uh-
2: um i do i mean i've got a uh, watch it's not not on uh, netflix but because of what we have which mm-hmm. is just Drek, and what you have which is all great um <laughs> but you can watch this <laughs> film for free over at snag films Ooh, okay um and this one really came to mind obviously i was looking for something to recommend and when you were doing your top 50 rundown, I mean, we've known each other for like seven, going on eight years now. Yeah. And I never knew that the Delhi Dollhouse of Horror Nonsense was Koso because of the Emily Hunting doll. I'd never heard that story.
1: The, oh, oh, the,
2: um, the, the, yeah. That your uh, sister created. I yeah. never uh, knew that she was the reason for it. it. It
1: was dark times. I still don't know where that doll is, by the way. Ugh. We moved, we moved houses when I was like six and I saw that doll once in my, my parents' current home, so I know it was there, but I've never seen it since, so I have no idea where it is. Okay. My parents still live there.
2: <laughs> um, the film I'm going to recommend is called Of Dolls and Murder. It's uh, released in 2012. It's the sole directorial uh, film by Susan Marks, and basically it's a documentary about, about the birth of forensic uh, pathology. Um, and how CS- the CSI style of crime fighting came in In particular it focuses on Francis Glizner Lee Who made these little doll uh, dioramas called Nutshells
1: I have heard of this movie and I totally forgot about it Because I remember um, hearing about it and being like this sounds awesome And then I never remembered to check it out
2: Yeah, I mean I was drawn in because of obviously the doll house sure. idea I thought White's a doll dioramas of yeah. murder um and this is what they train detectives on, and the film also looks at uh things like c s i um they go to, they pay a visit to the body farm Ooh. and they go to like um a, a college where they 're training these um these, these training detectives mm-hmm. and they like introduce these these nutshells and it 's like it 's not a who di- who done it it 's like well, what could have happened okay and it's absolutely fascinating. And the fact that Frances Glesner Lee, um, she was part of the harvester dynasty. So she was, came for money and she created these, uh, and she's seen as being the patron saint of, um, of homicide detectives, essentially. Ooh,
1: that's so interesting.
2: But, um, it's, if that doesn't entice you enough, it's also got narration by John Waters.
1: Ooh, 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 ooh. And ooh, uh, you are every, speaking my language.
2: Every time they show a nutshell, he does the little background narration that they all come with. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and I thought he would like narrate the whole thing, but he only does these little bits of narration, and
1: mm-hmm.
2: instead it doesn't have uh, that invasive style, which I know Christine doesn't like. And <laughs> right,
1: right, right. Huh. Uh, although it was John Waters, she might like it. I, mean, should.
2: But, uh, I do like yeah. child
1: Waters a lot.
2: But uh, yeah, it's um, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, it's only just over an hour long, so you yeah. can you can knock it out in lunch hour or whatever. So
1: yeah, that's I'm, I'm glad you spoke about that because I remember writing that movie down and I've never remembered to go back to it. So I'm
2: yeah. Nervous. I mean, yeah. I mean originally I was going to review or write something about it, but um, I just thought I'd come on here and share. It with yeah, it that's instead. fine.
1: That's fine by me. Awesome. So. Thank you. Uh, cool. So remind the people, Elwood, where they can find you for future.
2: Um, you can find me at FromTheDeptsOfDVDHell.blogspot.co.uk. Um, if you fail Failing that, just put it into Google. <laughs> uh, when all else fails. Um, you can also find me on um, Twitter at, at ElwoodJones. Mm-hmm. If you want to do the 1001... Uh, film list, then uh, you can obviously find that on Letterbox. If you just type in "1001," uh, uh, just type in "Mad, Bad, and Damn right Stranger," it'll come up. Awesome. Um, and obviously, the podcast is uh it available on iTunes? If you uh, nice. want to download it, and you can also get it on trapping Podomatic. Is the other place we've uploaded it to? So
1: very cool. And Christine, do you have anything to tell the people yet? What do
3: you mean, Jellybean?
1: Didn't you have some stories and stuff? Were they available yet? Yeah,
3: uh, people seem to be having a really hard time with the Wattpad interface, even though it's like the easiest thing in the world. If you go to Wattpad, W-A-T-T-P-A-D, you can read stuff on your phone or you can download the app and make it be even easier on phone, mobile device, Kindle, Fire, you know, iPad. I'm releasing stories one by one, short stories, and they're completely free and the interface is really easy to use. No,
1: so you, please use it. Okay, share the link on the Facebook page. I to, will. To uh, I have.
3: I don't think I've done that. You have not. Because I would. I'll remembered. do that,
1: and I would have plugged it into my Stepford wife and had her read it to me.
3: Oh, and I re. Um, you're funny. I am um, <laughs> reformatted the hard copy of my novel. If Ooh. anyone is looking for that, and not to have it be a mess. Um, I, Emily, if you want a new one, I'll send you a new one. Oh, I might. It's so much better infinitely better
1: okay well the so I, one, like I said made me feel smart because it felt like I was reading a really big book but. yeah it had. it is half that size nice nice so. <laughs> alright so look for all of those things we have no idea what we're covering next but we'll figure mm-hmm. it out at some point in time we will indeed uh, happy Mother's Day to all the ladies out there it's not Mother's Day in England is it oh, no no we, okay
2: we, no I think we've got it coming up I'm trying to place what it is on the calendar now so <laughs>
1: uh yeah no it's uh it's a nice weather everybody watch movies and then go outside and then come back in and talk about them on facebook that's how we roll yes so thank you again elwood for joining us this evening oh, thank you very much a pleasure having you yeah thanks for stopping by we feel so much classier whenever we get the brits in here i won't lie uh especially when we it doesn't end in revolution that's always a good thing
2: <laughs> yeah always a good thing
1: yeah no, no. but uh on that note everybody, uh, goodbye. Bye.